fall. That's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with the Brian Campbell. And it is back with a bang in your ear holes, pro wrestling style. The syringe is filling, ready for injection with another dose of that lethal performance enhancing audio. Why am I fired up? Why do I feel things down low? The mega powers are about to explode in my pants. Yeah, they are. They are. Because pro wrestling is back. The third boom period alive and well. Competition is happening. This thing, the revolution, has forced people's hands. And this man has invaded our feel hole. I'm hell or high water. We're going to kick their asses. Paul Heyman has invaded that deep, dark place and changed the landscape. And we got one hell of a show for you today. Breaking that down. But oh, no, it doesn't stop there. We've got a full G1 Climax preview coming your way. And it doesn't stop there. You want great guests? The State of Combat podcast has that for you. Juice Robinson in the house talking all things G1, talking about his conversion from NXT superstar to one of the best in-ring performers in the entire world. And we also have the voice of NJPW and a broadcasting legend in his own right, Kevin Kelly in the house today on the state of combat we'll look back at all things fighter fest we will look at it all but first can we just i mean can we just mark out here absolutely thank you good brothers can we just get fired up let me bring in my co-host i want to check his pulse i want to check his levels let's see what he's got today say hello to the bad guy Look, he's hedged a few times, he's blocked a few people on Twitter, but that's all in the past because wrestling is back, and he's here to tell you about it. He's the damn Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, man, now. How's that? Wow. Wow. Uh, we're not o- dangerously. We're not overblowing it, Adam. No, of course not. It's real. It's real. The revolution forced WWE's hand. They may stomp out the revolution. I'm here for this ish. Let's do this. Two two months in. Two months. It's all it took. Wow. Wow. Fire it up. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, man. We got a lot. We got a large show. So large, BC. I think there's someone else you want to introduce. Look, last week we had a third man and Nick Costos and he blew people's holes in. This week, we're going back to our talented (laughs) roster. Who is the third man, you might ask? Is he the third? Northeast Pennsylvania's own CBS Sports writer, editor extraordinaire, Jack Crosby back in the house. My brother, how is it? Fellas, I actually told Costas last week after he was on the show. I went, wait a minute, that's not fair. I got to jump on with these guys next week. What a week to be alive. What a time to join the podcast, Jackson. Wow, bro. How could I not this week, though? Seriously, with everything that happened, everything that's going to happen, how could I not? You missed as part of his intro, Yingling Purveyor, Jack Crosby. Yeah, this guy lives Yingling. This guy urinates Yingling. It, it was it was a good beer in college. Oh, I am now an adult. There we go. I drink better beer. Man, when you live in Northeast PA, you can't be to no man. No, you got to live and die by the Yingling. Live well, and do, die by it. 
I do like the old cans that they're reintroducing. I showed you a picture, Jack, mm-hmm. on Twitter of one that I have. I bought it legitimately at like uh, one of those like scrapyard places where they buy old crap from people, and they, you know, it's it, they're popular now. They never yeah. used to be. Um, I was looking like for stuff to to get for my apartment, you know, in college, looking for stuff. Couldn't find anything of, of value. I saw this can, and that's when I was actually drinking Yingling. It w- the guy charged me a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so I have this old school can, and now they're coming out with them. You know, twenty years later, they're so cool. Yeah, all, right, all right, you guys can have Yingling memories uh, uh, for days here. I want to talk wrestling, brothers. I want to talk five-star review as well. If you love the show, you love the personalities on this show, you love what we do to your holes on this show. That Well, that came out wrong. Uh, please pay us back with that five-star review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you consume five audio, folks. You know what it's about. It's all about the five. Thank you. I don't want to fool around any longer. I don't really want to sell too many more things. I just want to sell my soul to this genre of pro wrestling. And Adam, you and I last week dropped everything to hit people between the eyes with an instant analysis podcast when the idea of Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff being announced as part of WWE creative in executive roles. And I just want to say one thing about that, all right? And we record this now, by the way, Tuesday afternoon. We're here to tell you about Raw. SmackDown has not happened yet. Why? Big week for the state of combat. Big week for your boy BC. We'll be in Vegas. UFC 239. Lots going on, brother. Follow that collaboration if you know what I'm talking about. But Adam, when we recorded that show last week, I was shocked at what I received in my DM slots on Twitter, in my text messages. People I love and respect going, bro, what the hell is wrong with you? How can you be this optimistic they make one announcement, and you're ready to, to paint the town red. You're ready to, to uh, I don't know, take your pants off. You're just ready to do absolutely disgusting things. Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. Well, here's the thing. What do you want me to do? You want me to tell you the sky's going to keep falling on you? We just went through nine months of hell, okay? And they made the kind of moves that have to give you optimism. So we sat here on this podcast and we rode that horse, Adam. We said change is a coming. Why? Because it has to. Because there's financial realities at stake. And that's the only time VKM does anything. That's the only time he says, I may not know what's best for business. Well, I don't want to sit here and say we're vindicated because of one three-hour program, Monday Night Raw. But something's happening here, Adam. Guys, it's okay to feel love again. Get on board. Feel that. Feel all of that. That's the key. It's like, we're too negative. We're too positive. What do you guys want from us? Like, we, we give you the straight passion right from the gut, right from the feel hole. And the truth is, with WWE, especially these days, it's usually an extreme. This isn't the Attitude Era where you may go two weeks and you'd be like, yeah, that was a good show. You know what I mean? But it was nothing special. And then, oh my God, here's here's Kurt Angle with the milk truck. That was incredible. This is a time in WWE where it's either very good to great or really terrible. And even in this edition of Raw, and as you noted, we are taping this early, before SmackDown, apparently Paul Heyman was on the job early and Eric Bischoff won't be on that SmackDown job at least full-time until after Extreme Rules. So this may be a little bit uneven for a while. But we saw enough Monday night, BC, to get us legitimately excited about what the future holds for WWE on the main roster. And you didn't do it, so I'm going to do it since we're already talking about it, BC. Let's jump into 
the main event. This is the main event. And if you don't mind, I'd like to read a DM slide. We love our listeners here. So you want to hit that little button? Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email? It is, John, from Sean McDermott. And the reason why I wanted to get him off the top, the guy's handle on Twitter, at I'm Bored Brother. This is a dedicated listener. Oh, wow. That is fan freaking tastic here. Let me give him a shout out on that. I'm bored, brother. Yes, indeed. He he's making a play for that 2019 Mount Rushmore, and it's a long DM. He sent it to both of us, but I think it sets the stage for the conversation we want to have. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. BCSK, start the sirens, rev the engines. Holy freaking crap! It's only one episode of Raw, and WWE has to prove it can pull Monday Night off every week. But it was obvious the show was different. Being in the crowd, it had a buzz the whole night, different from the last two Raw shows I attended last year. Thank you, Paul. There were chants of thank you, Heyman, in my section after the Braun and Lashley segment. My wife, who doesn't like wrestling, was hooked. Watching it back on TV, Corey Graves added, holy shit, it was a great ad, even if it was obvious as an instruction. That segment had edge. It was oozing with milk of Marknesia, screaming with attitude era. The intertwined storylines of 24-7 and Ricochet AJ were perfect. Taker easily got the biggest pop of the night, even though we don't know what the hell he was saying. If the reports are true, Heyman doesn't have his full hands on the show yet. I can't wait to see what a full Heyman show looks like. It's going to be back, baby. WWE threw out the overcooked $5 Walmart steak and served us that $75 aged bone and ribeye. Give me more. I want it. I need it. What do you say to that? Wow. I say wow to that. He, he pretty much nailed it there. Pretty much nailed the feeling. Uh, if you watch Monday Night's Three Hours and you have been a regular viewer this calendar year, you can really do nothing but explode inside and make those internal noises. Oh, God, that feels so good to hit. Um, Because, look, it's back. And it's back because it's different. They did so many things on Monday Night, Adam, that we bitch and cry about every single week. Attention to detail. Letting people be their actual selves coming out on character. And no, we don't know the full dynamics. And really, I don't want to sit by the bed sheets, not my own Brooklyn dirty bed sheets, but the, the Meltzers and the Kellers and all that. I, I almost don't even want to know the dynamics of who wrote what, who approved what. I just, like, I'm sick of talking about how the sausage is made. I just want more damn sausage in my life. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a piece of meat that I enjoy. Exactly, Silver King. So here's yeah, the deal. Yeah, you better deal. cut that clip too, BC. Let's the sausage was great. Whether Vince got out of his own way or still had the stamp at the end, people came out of their shells. The Street for Profits showed up. Mike and Maria got a roll. The Good Brothers were actually used. Like everything fell into place. And Jack, the thing that moved me the damn most. And by the way. We're like 15 minutes into the show. We haven't talked about Brock Strowman and Bobby Lashley blowing up the building yet. The thing that moved me the most and has me believing in a WWE revolution during the overall third boom period indie revolution is that something felt fresh about the dialogue. It wasn't some 24-year-old Columbia graduate to steal the line from Joey Janela there uh, writing it. Something felt fresh and real about the words coming out of their mouths. It was funny. They weren't trying to insult the viewer. They were trying to fillet the viewer, if you will. 
if you go that way. They were trying to tickle the bag on the viewer. Even Michael Cole heading into commercial telling you after this second fall, we're going to go to commercial. And then coming back two more times to say, we're not doing that weird stuff of old. This is pro wrestling in 2019. This is where the art form could go. And you know what? Like Fighter Fest over the weekend, it was still it was still somewhat of an incomplete show on Raw. Yet there were so many bells and whistles popping off. You gotta be a believer, Jack. Get on this Dude. show right now and tell me that you believe in the future of pro wrestling. Oh, I'm a believer after last night, and probably the most underrated aspect of last night's show. And like you said, pro wrestling of 2019, and how that entire show last night felt organic and just letting guys be themselves. For me, I know it was talked, but it's not going to be talked about as a lot of people's favorite moments. My favorite moment from that show last night was when AJ AJ Styles walked up to Ricochet and said, what did you say? And Ricochet said, I could beat you. AJ slapped him across the face. Ricochet returned. And then from there, there was no goofy backstage fight. They slapped each other. And that was to the ring. Let's go. Let's figure this out. And that's all. Like, like, yes, you're going to find some wrestling fans who ask for too much. We're not asking. No, for we're, asking we're asking for less. Like that. We're it. asking for less. Simplify it. NXT so style. Fun. We're asking for less. Let real fighters, and that's what they're portraying, fighters have real beefs with other fighters and do what men do, Silver King, because that's how men do it. Nothing face-to-face. No, everything face-to-face. No more 50-50 booking. No more watering down. No more presenting everyone as a loser. Present them as badasses and watch what happens. Well, let's be fair. AJ Ricochet was the definition of 50-50 booking. But besides that, if you noticed, going back to what you were talking about with the dialogue, the whole show was rough. And I don't mean rough bad, and I don't mean rough good, like it had an edge. But Carl Anderson stumbled over his words a little bit. Ricochet did too. It didn't feel it, – it, not that it didn't feel scripted. It was not scripted to the point where these guys, being in WWE so long – weren't used to speaking for themselves. Even the Shane and Drew situation, you could tell there were bullet points when they were sent out to the ring, especially Shane, but it wasn't a scripted series of lines that they memorized. There was even a part where like, I think Drew, oh no, it was The Undertaker, who obviously they don't script for The Undertaker. He said a line that he had in his head that he wanted to say, and then forgot to hammer yeah, it home. He looked like paused, he was lost out on Temptation it. Island or something. People had to pull, let's pull this guy back in. Where the hell is he going? But but here's the point. These are human beings. And when human beings talk, when you have Pacquiao and Thurman go head-to-head talking trash to each other, they, they aren't perfect. They mess up and then they come back over the top or they forgot to say something. And then when the other one answers, they come back over the top with it. And that's what I saw from the show. Even the Mike and Maria situation, when, and we'll talk about these specifically, but when Maria's on the microphone... That wasn't scripted, obviously, but she she had to hammer those points home a couple times. You're not the father. She screamed it twice, whereas if it was scripted, even though they would never have done that angle if it was a week ago, um, it, it would have been much more toned down and, and calmer, and it would have been one line, two line, three line, and get out of it. So for me, the storytelling was great. The action was great. But more importantly than anything, as you alluded to, BC, these people were allowed to be themselves and it's only going to get more comfortable and better. The longer you give them that free reign. I, I love that element of it. 
I love. I mean, I just love so many refreshing elements to it. It's just, guys, it felt like a completely different show. Like you still had some borderline tropes in the middle. Yeah, they came back from commercial and re and re upped and did a tag match and it's a joke. And look, it's a joke. Taker was off the rails. I thought he was awful. But here's the deal that I always complain against scripting television. You're gonna have people that screw up, but they're gonna get better. And sometimes exactly. the screw ups are more entertaining in the end because it feels real in the end. Taker, by the way, was a low point. Uh, maybe maybe in the end, guys, I'm just never gonna yeah. be a Taker. Mark that. I love the lightning bolts. I loved a little bit different, but well, that was the flat tire on it. Yeah, I've I really I've really cooled my stance on Taker a little bit because it, it's really undeniable when that bell hits. Listen to those live crowds. I mean, I understand what happens when the guy gets in the ring and gets a microphone. I understand what happens when you put him in most of his matches nowadays. But if I'm running a business like Vince McMahon, WWE, and I hit that, I tell Kevin, whoever controls the music, hit that bell, and I hear the pop in that crowd, I'm like, well, yeah, when I want to use him, I'm going to, I do it too. So I, I really, I would just I use him differently, though, Jack. You bit. know what was refreshing about this show? They used people. And really cool roles that got the most out of them. Obviously, the Street Profits was a giant part of this idea. I think you can use Taker, even with his limited body and limited mic ability, but just like what you're saying, take advantage of the aura and the pop in more, in better situations than the same old slow walk to the ring and the same old here's the mic and say but, something that doesn't make sense. But that's but Brian, but, that's what that's what people want to see, man. Like, yeah, he's slower now, so he, it adds five minutes to the presentation that we used to get. But people want The Undertaker to come out. They want to see the full entrance. They want him in the ring. They want him saying rest in peace when he's doing a promo. And then when they have a match, they want the Tombstone pile driver. They want the choke slam. They want old school. These are things they want when they see The Undertaker. I think they, I think they would enjoy what the rest of that show had was just something a little bit different. Things going in a different direction. Obviously, the, the whole theme of Mike and Maria and Seth and, and Becky, that theme was not there last week, right? So what I'm just saying is it's so refreshing to see this. Maybe Taker was the outlier in that. Maybe you're right that that's what people want. I don't, I don't see how they continue to want that. But overall, what we want is to have those three hours feel well, like we, they were redeemed, like we invested in something. I was stuck to the TV, guys. I didn't even watch it live. I was an hour behind, and I refused to fast forward during obvious wrestling segments because I did not know what was going to happen next. That hasn't happened in at least a year plus, at least. Honest to God, I do the you and I switch roles on CBS on CBSSports.com. I do the raw recaps now. You do SmackDown recaps. <laughs> you even, always you always lose, Brian. No matter which one you do, what year you and, always lose. And 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 even yeah, th- you know what? That's that's a difference. Even when I took <laughs> over for you back in the day, Rouse were great, and then you would come back the next week and they, and they suck. But anyway, and I and I've like I just said, I've covered for you in the past on Rouse before I took over full time, but. Last night, legitimately, no joke, like, I had my head down typing, and I picked my head up at one point and saw that it was, like, 10.02 p.m. Exactly. I thought yep. it was, like, 8.58. I couldn't believe it, and I was like, wow, this is almost over. All right, last, so, I can't tell you the last time I You're right. Now, Adam, i got to ask you an important question now. This is a spinoff of what Jack just said. This is the biggest question anyone will be asked on this show today, outside maybe of you asking Kevin Kelly the inside story of uh, Brian Pillman's gun. That's a great, that's a great question. Steve Austin, which I cannot wait to check that out. Uh, what's the ceiling? And like, again, I know, and I did have people, I had my, uh, one of our best listeners, Josh, text me going, cool off, dude. It's one three-hour show. No, Josh, back yourself up, all right? So, Adam, what is the ceiling of 2019 pro wrestling under the WWE main roster banner if Monday night 
was just the beginning of what we could see. I'm serious. Like, it didn't feel like PG. It didn't feel like anything we're used to. What will could we be like Survivor Series, Royal Rumble of next year? Where could this genre and business be if this is real? It's limitless. Let's not forget. It always gets lost, and you can make the case for NJPW in terms of in-ring talent. WWE has the best roster of talent maybe ever. I mean, you can, talk, you can talk late 90s WWE for characters and things, but, but top to bottom, NXT, Raw, SmackDown, UK, 205 Live, no one has that many talented individuals. This was Paul Heyman, and again, whether you believe reports, whatever, sprinkling. He was dusting this episode. They're still building to extreme rules. The guy just got hired. He's not firmly in control, and we already saw massive differences. But we also shouldn't forget the show was not just about what was on our screen. It was what was not on our screen. What wasn't on our screen were the Revival shaving their backs. What wasn't on our screen were three segments of Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. We saw them backstage one time talking to each other. That was it. Not interacting with Seth, not coming out, cutting long, repetitive promos, not Lacey. Actually, I do think, did Lacey have a match? And she punched Natalia in the face. Yeah, Ned. They did. Okay, I'm sorry. So let me correct myself. They were on twice, and I didn't mind the second time that they were on because it moved business forward. And I'm even here giving them credit for it, forgetting they were even there. That made sense as a segment. So it wasn't just the positive that they brought us. And I do, I do think we should break down some of that. It was keeping the negative away, stopping many of the things that we grow tired of. And what Jack mentioned, I'm the one who usually messages Jack. Ha ha, LOL. It's 845. It feels like we've been watching this for two hours. I had the exact same reaction last night. I looked up. It was 10.08. And I was like, are you kidding me? The show's almost over. I could have watched that for four hours last night. What really intrigued me about the whole product, like um, going back to the Street Profits, because I know they were a huge talking point out of last night, and they should be, rightfully so. Uh, I want to see, I, I'm curious, especially with Heyman, not so much Eric. I mean, I'm sure he'll have, but with Heyman, how the NXT call-ups change. He loves NXT. Be, because, of course he does. Um, and I'm sure Eric does too. But Paul, especially, because now we're led to assume, like we'll see reports, and we're led to assume, given the timeline, he gets on the job, and one of his first questions asked is, hey, um, those Street Profit guys, can I have them? Possibly. And it maybe gets a little pushback, but he's like, look, I really want those two. Then he does a segment with them on TV last night. One yeah. of the two they had. He's in there. Jack, they were stars and a half. They were oh, front page well, celebrity superstars well, well, on that on, broadcast. Hold on. Hold on. They night. were they were they were charismatic as all hell. They exuded the, 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 star the first segment. The first segment gave us let's be legitimately critical. The first segment gave us zero information why they were on the show. It was really strange. The second one with Heyman was great. The first one was like what? No, I, Are they I, here? I'll disagree with well, you on that. I felt overall the way that crowd popped, the way that they owned that moment. Look, you can put people in that spot. You never know what you're going to get. They, I, I said this to Jack offline. I've never been an Angelo Dawkins guy. When he was teaming with Ty Dillinger back in the day in NXT, I mean, he's been there forever for a reason. Even in the Street Profits, 85% of what I love in the Street Profits is Montez Ford. He's limitless in his potential. Angelo Dawkins almost outperformed him on the mic last night. They yeah, owned did. that yeah. moment. They took it and said, if you don't know about us, you need to know about us. And if this was last week under 
the way things had been written and done, they would have come out and said something that basically made no sense and played upon the one gimmick that Vince would have thought was marketable in them, and they would have come off so lame and forced. Instead, they're doing impressions. They're going, I mean, it was just, it was, I need them in my life. It was that good. Well, I know, Jack, you want to get in, but they also would have called them the street experience and, you know, <laughs> and, and had some stupid, like, yellow gear or something like that. My, I do think something else is interesting, and, and Jack, you can continue here, but realize the difference between the Viking Raiders call-up and this one. Viking Raiders did not have their NXT Tag Team Championships. The Street Profits do. Yeah. The Viking experience, they tried to change everything about them. The Street Profits, they changed nothing about them. The only issue I honestly had is we've talked about this, Brian, you and I on this podcast, for weeks, ever since the Superstar shakeup, there are almost zero tag teams on SmackDown. There is a plethora on Raw. I have no idea why they called them up to Raw. Doesn't make well, any sense. Well, th- this is this is a, here's another thing I wonder because Paul Hammond, his brain works in mysterious ways. Because Adam, that, that was actually a good point. I didn't even think about that. You know, the Viking Raiders weren't even didn't even have their their titles. Nope. Street Profits did. Maybe we. I've said I've said this, and no, this is not something that you could you force. I've long said we have these long pay-per-view cards, and then we have maybe sometimes, sometimes half the matches we just not drop our heads at. There's not a problem every once in a while, once twice a year tops maybe of putting an NXT title match on one of these main roster pay-per-views to give them say, hey, Adam Cole is going to defend the NXT title against Johnny Gargano at SummerSlam. There's nothing wrong with that because the depth in NXT to keep the takeover card special is still there. You could take the NXT title match. So I, part of me thinks maybe you'll get more free publicity on raw for NXT by showcasing some of these guys and say, Hey, you know, they're kind of still members of NXT, but Hey, this is what you can see and where you can see them. And I, I've always had no problem with that. Yeah. And, but the street profits end of the day, a lot of people forget this because the popular narrative is, when guys get up to the main roster, they're dead in the water from NXT. But because it's true, Jack, because it's true. Well, it's so true. Know. We've had this conversation. Just so, it's true just so you know, Jack, I just want to let you the know. Tag that. teams, tag teams. But the fact remains, there are just certain acts that translate better to the main roster than NXT. What? Elias. They're just that, like Elias felt out of place in NXT. Drew McIntyre felt out of place in Samoa NXT Joe, because he's such a large human being, but he just felt out of place. The Street Profits, they're a main roster act that's going to get over with these live crowds, and they're going to be fun. And it's recognizing African-American talent that can do some next-level things on the mic and with Montez's athleticism. I mean, you had people like Ryan Satin tweeting out, Montez Ford could be a WWE champion sooner than you think he has that star power. And after Monday night, I mean, look, that's hyperbole, but you almost don't want to put a damper on that. But, Silver, can you say one thing about, you know, why do they have to be on Raw? I mean, look. The, the idea of separating brands, I think it's over. It's it's over for good, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't so know about that. I had a feeling last night for the first time that what WWE could look like this fall would get me the hell fired up because we already established over three hours, they used so much talent. They got even people in tiny roles. They got so many people screen time and things that kind of quasi mattered that that's how you do it. That's how you use this deep roster in the three hours. But if we are trying to keep two different businesses happy, Fox and NBC Universal, with the idea of, well, if you guys get Roman Reigns, what are we going to get? If they could actually make it where, like you said, Adam, they don't beat you over the head. If Baron Corbin's the main storyline of Raw, he doesn't get seven segments, okay? Why don't you stretch out the best storylines so that you see them on Monday, 
and you leave you with a cliffhanger. You can't wait to see what happens next. And then you have to turn in on Friday, tune in on Friday night to see what's going to happen next. That separation of days and the separation of brands, I think it's going to work. Even if the idea is Bischoff coming in and SmackDown looks different, it feels different, it tastes different. If they decide to keep this wildcard reality so that the X number of big stars have to be on both, they can do it in a way that doesn't insult us because we don't need Seth Rollins to have 27-minute matches on Raw and SmackDown each week. In fact, I don't need Seth Rollins to wrestle. Give him some actual good segments like we saw on Monday night, and you got me. Well, the whole point is you limit the crossover. So you don't want, if Seth Rollins and Baron Corbin are involved in a legitimate angle with a huge cliffhanger, as USA Network, you don't necessarily want Fox to get that. You want people to tune back into you the next Monday. So what you need to do, they basically need to do a brand split. And this is what I was saying previously. You just allow, there's always the potential for crossover. So if you want to tell that angle on SmackDown on Friday, you can. And if you decide to promote that, great. But then if you want to promote an angle with Reigns on Raw, you can. The problem is they have too many, like this Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross storyline, right? I understand they have something different going on with Becky right now. Why don't you save that for next month and run that on Raw and allow the women on SmackDown to run an angle for the SmackDown Women's Championship? The biggest issue is they're forcing crossovers where they don't need them to exist because they have plenty of talent. You don't need the Street Profits on Raw because you have the Revival and the Usos and the Good Brothers and AOP and... AOP, where are they, right? They're healthy now. They're not on TV. Whereas on SmackDown, they literally had to create Daniel Bryan and Rowan, and now they're putting Owens and Sami Zayn together because they don't have tag teams besides Heavy Machinery and the B team. So that's the point. It's you need to divide up your roster properly, and if you do, you can create enough storylines for most of the year. Well, yeah. If you want that occasional crossover it is then refreshing and it works. In a perfect world. Right now they're forcing it down our throats. Right. In a perfect world, you would have two separate brands and that's the way it would be. But we don't, we're not convinced yet that NBC and Fox are going to be in, agreed on upon that perfect world because their perfect world is big ratings. So if we have to stay in this reality, I think they have, they, they, if they're going to book it the right way, they got, they can do it. They could really make us care. You could take, you know, you can stretch storylines out from one day to the next, and I would be all in for that. What I, I guess what I'm saying ultimately is this. I don't need people to be brand specific. If they're not going to do a full-on brand split, then don't make anybody brand specific so we don't have these chats about why is another tag team going to Raw. Make me believe that Raw and SmackDown, while they look different or run by different people, are an open field where anybody could show up or put that line in the sand that you can't. It's all or nothing to me. In whichever way they choose, they have the talent and they have the right creative to actually make it work. Yeah, and you can't do it where you say it's three people, then it's four, and now like week, week by week it's seven, eight people on each show set a rule and live up to the rule. That's the thing about wrestling is if you have rules, you can kayfabe them here and there, but if it's going to be a sport and that's what AEW is trying to do, if you're going to have a rule, stick to the rule. And if you're going to create a stupid wild card rule and you're going to say it's four, make it four. Don't give me seven, eight, nine. Now, BC, we have a lot to talk about the rest of the show, but I want to talk about some of the things that happened on raw. Cause we didn't actually talk about developments. Stroman Lashley opened the show Hey, I think we all had the same two-word expression that Corey Graves said. But what I particularly loved, and I'm curious if you feel the same way, the spot was great. But the continuing references and updates throughout the show, both on social media and on TV, that's what sold it to me. Well, yeah, because you know what they did? They didn't try to pretend that pro wrestling is fake, which is a major problem in the modern era. Not just Vince McMahon 
outside AEW. of his programmings, AEW. not just Vince outside of the programming wall telling you it's sports entertainment. That's one thing. Oh, he killed the business in 85 when he said that. Whatever. When you act on your screen as if it's all fake bullshit, nobody cares. It's continuing that along, keeping it serious, having people interrupt their promos to, to, to sort of well wish. I mean, it's the whole thing. When Vince McMahon runs something, there's too much tongue-in-cheek. There's too much bullish. He gives you too much reason to never believe that something's serious and that you should take it serious. This was an incredible use of the advantages that WWE has over every other promotion, and that's money, technology, production, ideas, the all that together. I mean, look, they are in the business of making movies. They can do that spot like nobody else could even conceive doing that spot. But like you said, they continued it on to make you care about it. I didn't care about Braun and Lashley before this. Uh, look, the rest, arm wrestling and tug of war, like that's all fine. It's filler carnival stuff to keep you going on a regular Raw. Good Lord, they made you care in this. It's a home run. It's an absolute home run. I, I just wanted to point out that like my favorite thing from Braun and Bobby was that camera angle they used. As soon as they went to the back side of was, the stage, that, that was fantastic production right there. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Maybe I maybe it's only been once or twice. It looked like an in arena cam. You know what I mean? Like a like a security camera or something. But like everything about that was just fantastic. And it re- again, it continued with the selling. And then it even went down right to the little point that I think I saw this morning with the updates of the heel. Is in better shape than the baby face after that. Bobby got released. Braun's still in the hospital. Pelvic is pelvis is still all messed up. So Bobby, Bobby's a little better than Braun. Like that's that's how far into detail this whole storyline goes. And again, I did get we groaned about seeing Braun and Bobby on TV. Every I think the three of us collectively can agree on that. You groaned. Well, when you in, saw the, them. in the stupid in the stupid arm wrestling segments, yeah. Well, oh, that now, was good though. But yeah. Now instantly. You care about them, and you care about the angle, and you want to see those two legitimately wrestle. You you want to see those two wrestle again. I want to and see them. I want to see the main event extreme rules. I don't know if I go that. Yeah, that's extreme. I do. That's After an that? extreme take. Well, th- that, that, the I reason do. why that's an extreme take is because it was one really awesome spot. It didn't do much to make you care about the storyline. I oh, care about cute. the potential matches together, but I mean, like. It was sort of an accident that they did together. It wasn't like one person did that to the other, and you're like, oh, I got to see him get redemption. No, 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 no. Hold on. Excuse me. The whole opening segment was great. The spot was the cherry on top. Right. But that, so, was, a, that was a hoss fight. That was incredible. I want to see a pay-per-view match between them. I, it doesn't have a story attached to it yet to make it main, main event worthy, though. Here's, here's my other concern. There are some people who believe that Braun has been dealing with even more injuries coming off the last time he was dealing with injuries, and they gave him an angle to get out of TV. There are people who believe that was a write-off for Braun, not a two-week promotion for Extreme Rules. And if that's the case, I got to be honest, I'm pretty disappointed because you could have had that at Extreme Rules and it'd been great. And, yeah, that uh, could, you know, worthy of a paper. That could have been a monster See, moment, but it, it, extreme- as an announcement, though. But seriously, to be honest, as a night one announcement coming off the Heyman signing, that's sure. as great as it gets because I didn't watch it live to start the show, and my phone was blowing up with. Everyone writing the same thing. Ten minutes in, they got me. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm sold. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. So you had to kick people in the crotch to open that show. So I'll actually take it on Monday night. And I got to be honest, following it up with 
the the New Day situation, and I I hate the commercial breaks and restarting matches and stuff, but they gave me Brian. I I got like ten tweets that I called last week, not called like predicted, but called on WWE to have Samoa Joe choke the hell out of Kofi Kingston and give Kofi Kingston a legitimate loss. And man, they followed through. That's the aggressive Samoa Joe. And again, I'm not trying to give Paul Heyman credit with everything. The same aggressive Samoa Joe that stood face-to-face with Paul Heyman in the ring in 2017 and told him, Paul, I'm about to choke your ass out, and then did it. And we got that with Kofi. To me, that was just another example of the aggressive nature of what we saw on Monday. And it almost leads me to believe, Jack, and tell me if you agree with me or not, maybe WWE is going in a direction here where Raw is a little bit raw and a little bit more aggressive and maybe by the time SmackDown goes over to Fox it's a little bit more PG and sports centric but we do have the stuff that we've been dying for on this Monday night show that actually would make sense keep it around like that because Fox did specifically ask WWE we want a sports centric like we want wins and losses to matter all that stuff when it presented so what yeah you're right Adam what you can do now is take Raw and make that I, I hate saying Attitude Era. I hate it so much. TV but 14. I hate it. But the, as close to that as you can get. Like you said, an edgier product. And then, what, I, I'm sure USA would be perfectly okay with this. Like, you know, from that 10 to 11 hour, get as edgy as you could be. Now, not the goofy stuff we saw from a few weeks ago where the lights changed and the colors changed and nothing in the nothing on the actual product <laughs> actually changed right. other than a few little things. But take that 10 to 11 hour. And get do crazy stuff with Samoa Joe, like do do edgy like. Yeah, because Jack, yeah. if you've watched something like a Mister Robot on USA or whatever in that ten to eleven slot, you'll get swears. You'll actually get yeah. like as close as you get to sex scenes with half nudity. Like I'm serious. Like you get some pretty raunchy stuff. There's no reason I, why that third hour raw I, can't be a reminder of what wrestling should be because we're in 2019 is not a PG era guys because society forced it as much as WWE realized that's our safest path to make the most money. That's the look, only reason why we're here. Look last it's a, still a TV PG show. Last night they said shit and bitch and they weren't hiding those things. And even when the crowd chanted it, sometimes they dampen it. They didn't dampen it at all. So it was very apparent they were going edgier and to continue that there's only two more things i want to talk about coming out of raw the mike and maria situation randomly showing up apparently according to dave Meltzer, wrestling observer radio she actually is pregnant which brian i mean we you know what i said two weeks ago on the show when they resigned that's hysterical that she's actually pregnant again you know despite the fact she's allowed to be pregnant congratulations that's great do whatever you want her life her body all that stuff it's just hysterical based on them just resigning that she is pregnant again, but she's calling her husband a bitch. She's saying he can't get her pregnant. He's not enough of a man to do so. But Becky, a woman, despite her calling herself a man, would be more likely to do so. They're running a cuckold storyline uh, on is, Raw in 2019. And it's brilliant. And you know what that ultimately is in the end? It's Paul Heyman recognizing real talent and how to get the most out of it. What's Paul Heyman's reputation with ECW? Revolutionized pro wrestling and did it with a bunch of rejects, more or less, or a bunch of guys who weren't big enough, weren't good enough, and said, you got one good thing you do, and we're going to hide everything else, and we're going to make the most out of it. And what is our constant refrain about WWE proper? 
They don't know what they have. They can't find a way to present anybody the way that Paul Levesque did in NXT and showed you that even the vaudevillians, even the insert, the Ascension, insert name of whoever, were presented in the best possible light of who they could be. Could you guys imagine... He just took Mike and Maria, who, by the way, let's not act like they weren't doing great work on 205 Live. They were. And I think Mike has some real solid in-ring abilities. But Maria's the brains of that group. She's the voice. She's the mouth. Heyman brought that to the forefront. Who else could Heyman take? People you aren't even imagining and mixing with his brilliance. Because we already know who he's worked with. Samoa Joe in 2017. Rousey this past year. Goldberg on his comeback. He's amazing with all these guys. What if you hear a knock on that door? And Jack, if you heard this knock, I know you personally, you would not want to answer it. In fact, you would probably swear me off as a friend knowing the morals that you stand on. But one of these days, this knock's going to happen. And let me be frank, I got that (laughs) hot sauce. What in the hell could he do with somebody like Enzo? Enzo will be back. I'm not dirt sheeting you. I don't have any info. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you what my heart's telling me. Enzo will be back on WTV before the end of the year, and he's going to be a star <laughs> under this setup. A freaking star. Jack, Why? I'm watching your face react to me dropping truth on it. <laughs> Why are you the way you are? That's a great question. Brian, we need we'll figure we'll figure out the terms. I, we need we need to make a bet on Enzo Amore in WWE in 2019 because I will easily bet the other side. I want Enzo Amore out of this country. <laughs> exactly. Much less what, what, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Couple of haters. I mean, that's that's how you guys roll. That's fine. He's that's he, fine. Call me a hater. It's fine. Could you? I mean, look, Stop. he didn't sign in the end with AEW. He didn't sign with Ring of Honor. He's not going to Japan. Could you Brian, imagine? You know why he didn't sign, Brian, you know why he didn't sign with Ring of Honor? Because they got so much backlash for even putting him on television that they decided they couldn't sign. All him. right, what if Bischoff, when he takes over, creates an edgier SmackDown, which is one of the things before he got hired in some of the public speaking appearances that are now getting passed around Twitter that he talked about? He want if he was going to run it, he would want that second brand to be different, edgier. He basically described I would be I would have it be WCW in the '90s. To be honest with you, could you imagine if they gave him Enzo as the mouthpiece of that show? You're telling why me it wouldn't work? Why, why, do I, why do I still hear Enzo in my ear? Why? It's, um, it's why are unbelievable. we doing this? It's unbelievable that we're still Guys, you can love the art and hate the artist. All right? How, about, how about we talk about something better that has already come back, which is the club, which closed Raw, uh, AJ Styles turning on Ricochet, socking him right in the mouth. The Styles clash from the second damn wow. rope. I got to be honest. That segment was great. The turn was great. The backstage stuff was great. What made it for me was Luke Gallo's face. And his smile while he's standing on the ropes when, while AJ's turned, like, go ahead, do it. And then he does it. It's the little things that put or, it all together for me. And now we have the club and we have even AJ coming out on Twitter and saying, this ain't another country in a far off world. This ain't a couple of years ago. This is 2019 and the club is back. Oh, man, I'm fired up for this. That's the, that was the moment of the night. Jack, I'm going to pass to you one second. I just want to say this. The last time I stood up and just had an ish-eating grin while watching wrestling was hook the leg, hook the leg, hook the leg. Because that <laughs> NJPW top-shelf beef is so good that you can do nothing but just go, Oh, my God, I love this. I did that when AJ turned on Monday night. Jack, this is how you do it, Montel. I, I, I blame Triple H for this. What did he do to them boys over in Japan? 
What happened? What conversation went down <laughs> in some hotel room? What did Papa Trips tell those men? To, and to, to initiate an attack on his son, Ricochet? <laughs> That's just next level storytelling that we're not talking about here. and They're not putting on TV. Oh, he was, he was just hugging him two weeks ago. Yeah, Just hugging him. And then yeah. he sticks the bullet club on them. What is this nonsense? <laughs> Jack, do we go all the way with this? Do we get, do we get Fergal on the line? Yeah, yeah, you know, you're gonna, I understand people are going to go, but you have to. You have to finally do this. and But you also have to do at the same time, and it all intertwines together. You have AJ at first take the back seat and say, I am not the leader. Everyone knows this guy is the leader. This guy is the creator. He's the, he's the man behind the curtain. And then eventually, after a nice long thing of storytelling then you break aj oh my god a finn balor aj styles breakup of the don't say bullet club on wwe television with a paul Heyman behind the scenes writing this ish good lord guys you know i'm a revolutionary you know i like things around the world you know i like the taste of other countries beef i will not leave the us of a and wwe proper if they give us what we want adam this is what we deserve what would really be great is if they gave Finn two other club members on SmackDown and you had a legitimate faction. We need more than three. A legitimate faction split across both brands that works together. Then all of a sudden you have a six-member club with Finn and AJ together, and then you're able to have that infighting break apart, and you eventually have a six-man tag, and then you eventually have the one-on-one between Finn and AJ. Don't convolute it. Just give us what we. That's deserve not convoluted. Now. That's exactly how you build a faction, and that's and called the NWO Red and Black Wolf Pack. All right, so don't turn your no, back. But it's on that. one. My point is, it's one across two brands. They're all working together. If you have the wild card rule, all six can be on one show. They can be on the next show. It, it's it's already convoluted the way they're doing it. But you grow them beyond three. Make the club a real faction of guys in WWE like Gallows and Anderson who feel like they aren't getting opportunities aren't maybe uh, as aggressive as they should be, being as successful as they should be. Hell, add Mike Kanellis to it once he gets fully cucked by Maria and he needs somewhere else to go and find himself again. The point is, make them into something beyond, hey, we've seen these three guys before, they're back together now. I mean, that you, you have some of the best talkers in the game with Gallows and Anderson, and you popped for Luke Gallows' face. I popped for Carl Anderson all night speaking. I mean, challenging age. I mean, it's just... That's I actually, the- I actually thought we were going to get Gal. Uh, sorry, Anderson Ricochet. I thought they were leading to that. I was like, oh my god, we're going to get a G one finalist in the main event of Raw. I mean, just, I that's look, where they were going. You know, in the end, just, just, just give me what I want. Just give me what the hell that I want. These cool ass guys who can talk, and you're going to let them talk cool. I mean, that was the moment for me. The moment I realized my favorite guys that don't get used, the club, are not are getting elevated because Paul Heyman realizes. This is what they do. This is what they bring to the table. Like, do you realize how abused we are, guys? Do you like, like, take AEW, NJP, take all that stuff out of here. Okay, take NXT out of here. Let's stay in line here with Raw and SmackDown. Okay, we are forty-year-old men who who stand. You, you are a forty-year-old. Yeah, but yeah you're, buddy, you're, come you're on. more washed than me. Come on, they they stand by this product. We stand by men in underwear underachieving every week. Uh, why? Because we get paid to do it because we're addicted, all of the above, okay? But we put up with a lot of freaking crap and justify and take the one good segment out of three hours and go, no, 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 guys, this was good. There's something to build off here because we just want it to be great. We want it to be what it could be. 
Monday night. I mean, it it was years in that basement getting beaten down. Yet somebody left that back door unlocked. You know what I mean? And the in the in the sunlight came in. Like this is how it could be. We don't have to go to Japan for this. I don't even like. Here's the thing. Why do we start this revolution on this show? Because I hate WWE. No. Because I want WWE to die. No. Because I want them to be better. We won't need an AEW if WWE could be like this every week. What what, what are we missing here? A Gallows and Anderson could talk. They put them in the main event this week. They dominated. This is great. Put the Bullet Club on Raw. What's the problem? No, no, you're right, Brian. Like the the of all the things we had last night that that we've already talked about, like putting the club together, but it feels different this time. It feels different than tw- the 2016 angle with John Cena, which was great, by the way. It was great. It, it was, was good. Great. It was fresh. But that was sports entertainment. It was good. This feels this this go around feels different. Like normally, this reunion would happen three years later. You'd be like, ah, I saw this, been there, done that, don't care. But with the fresh feel of the show and Paul Heyman running things, now you feel like you're going to see something completely new, completely fresh that we're going to get to enjoy from these three guys who for years have been top guys, it, be it in Japan, WWE. I mean, the, the, the definition of cop, top guy is, is very open-ended. Like, think about it. Like, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, could you say they're top guys in a sense? Yes, you can, because these guys came in, Carl Anderson, who had no WWE experience, skipped NXT, had a big angle on Raw in Anaheim, California a few years ago. That's the definition of somebody who is near pretty much top guys that they were able to get that kind of treatment. So it's it's going to be exciting to see where they go with this from here because you'd assume that they're going to be close to the main event angle on Raw going forward after Baron Corbin and Seth are done with this whole thing they got going on now. Well, possibly. I mean, it depends – I don't know who the next challenger for Seth is going to be. I mean, we're, we're really looking ahead to SummerSlam. If it's going to be AJ coming back and maybe he just fails against Ricochet because he gets screwed or Ricochet gets a, a surprise win and he goes after the big title or they go back with Lesnar or, or something else. But the whole point is all of a sudden after even the last week was okay. I mean, it wasn't good, but last week was okay. This week was pretty good. Like if we're actually talking about was Raw great on Monday? I don't think it was great. It was different. It was fresh. There is so much more they can do with what they've already done. Yes. And let's also not forget, Gallows and Anderson, and the Revival for that matter, are both tag teams on expiring contracts in WWE that we were told were going to get buried. Now, I always thought that was exaggerated a little bit with Revival, but Gallows and Anderson clearly were getting buried. They weren't even getting used on television revival are the tag team champions gallows and anderson are in the main event angle basically of raw two weeks in a row at least in terms of their affiliation with aj styles so wwe is not just making their product better it seems like they're doing right by some of their talent and especially when you're related in storyline and in real life friendship with aj styles these are guys you really can't afford to lose to a company like AEW, right. and that gives me promise. Well, right in line with that, how smart, and look, again, one show, but if it if this turns out to go in the direction of actually giving people what they want and deserve, not a slow build towards something like Kofi, which was great, but it, it was almost slow, so slowly telegraphed and elongated, Becky two belts, so, like, stretched out. No, just giving people what they want every week, like the Attitude Era. 
How smart will it have been for Vince knowing that anyone in that company, when their contract expires, they could jump ship and some of them are strong enough to instantly make the competition must watch in AEW securing Paul Heyman, who may have been the most valuable player under the hood of his car this whole time. And I don't know what's going to happen with Eric Bischoff, whether it's going to work on SmackDown, whether they're going to give him the ball, whether he'll be out in six months. But could you imagine a long range scenario, long range scenario? And I'm I'm speaking optimism here and, and a little off off brand, whatever. But where Vince allows Heyman to be Heyman and run Raw in a 2019 modernized version of Genius Heyman and all everything he's been through through his career from WWF through WCW through ECW and all that. And gave the other side to Trips and said, take SmackDown and run it exactly like you run NXT. Could you imagine that reality of how saying, great wrestling could be? And you're, look, saying a rea- you're saying a reality in which Bischoff is not there long term? And look, Bischoff may work. He may not work. Maybe It may taste different. It may be the same. We don't know. But could you imagine if one brand was a Vince and Paul Heyman run Raw and the other brand was a Trips taking the best of the indies in NXT? Like, how great WWE wrestling could be? What's NXT, then? <laughs> I mean, it, it could still be your feeder system down in, down in Orlando, but the whole idea of taking Trips' booking and that presentation style and putting in SmackDown, I'm just saying they, it, it's, just a, it's gluttonous how much potential WWE has, yet they're in their best financial place of all time, and they actually, like, have so much freaking potential creatively that they could almost double and triple that. Like, seriously, it's insane. All right, BC, and there is so much more left to talk about on the show. But before we do, you know what we got to do. Hear from some of our friends and sponsors. All right, BC, we are back, and we have plenty more to talk about. AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling. We're going to get to our interviews with Kevin Kelly and Juice Robinson. But before we do, while we're taping here, Seth Rollins jumps on Twitter and sends out an apology and clarification for last week's Twitter tirade, let's call it, to Will Ospreay. I'm going to read it for you really quick. After a few days to sit on it, I'd like to apologize to Will Ospreay for the tweet I sent his way about comparing bank accounts. It was dumb of me and not in line with my values. The moment I pressed the send button, I knew it was trash, but I'm too stubborn for my own good. I stand firm in my sentiments that WWE is the best pro wrestling on the planet and that I'm the best of the best doing it right now. After a hell of a week of travel, our crew didn't waver for a second. Top-level humans busting their asses for the love of the game. I couldn't be more proud to be champion with this company and represent WWE and the entire industry in the way it deserves. No more garbage tweets. I can and will be better. No more garbage tweets? Is he really saying that? That's what he's saying. Uh, uh, I don't love that apology. Like, what did he do in the end? He, Like we talked about, he stood up for the business. Like, you can call it corny, you can call it whatever you want, but, like, now you're going to apologize for it? Come on. Well, I think he's saying, like, I don't want to be sitting here comparing bank accounts with you when hey we can talk trash about our ability in the ring and who has better pro wrestling but to take it to the point of like i'm rich and you're not is kind of a <laughs> it's kind of a jag off thing to do so i think that's really more what he was complaining about and you know what it's easier to send a tweet jack uh saying that yeah wwe is the best on the planet and i'm happy to be champion coming out of this week's raw <laughs> than it was last week's raw yeah, like the timing of the, the, the timing of Seth's tweet was which was right before stopping grounds. Yeah, it was the day before stopping right. grounds. Like we were we were crapping all over the show to begin with, and Seth does that, so we're like, bro, what are you doing? Right. And the banter was good, 
but you know, BC, like the, the point is you cannot cape for, I, I understand he's caping for WWE, but also in a ways pro wrestling as a whole. So you can't take a jab at some dude who's working his ass off to get to the highest level he can by saying, ha ha, I got more money than you. Exactly. Like Seth was very like, I, I, I'm happy. He apologized. It was a great move on his part because I'm sure he took a lot of flack, maybe from his peers too, that were like, dude, you shouldn't have done that. Like that was too much. Well, let's remember all Will Ospreay said was, I'm alive. Yeah. Like, like you're saying you're the best. I'm here too. And I'm working my ass off also. So Will didn't come out and say, hey, you suck and WWE sucks and we have the best stuff. He was just like, hey, I also exist. Ha ha. Like, here's a rib. And Seth is like, I'm richer than you. So screw off. I mean, that was kind of a dick move. All right. Uh, let's move on, BC, Jack. AEW Fighter Fest was this weekend. I'm really curious where this conversation is going to go. Because I think we were very much aligned BC, you and I coming out of double or nothing. At least the second half, we had disagreements on the first, which were probably splitting hairs. But I am curious uh, how this no, we, we, no, sorry, Adam. Let's just pause that. There was no splitting of hairs. All right. Well, we'll you, t- I think you took me- mild criticism as crap. Me crapping on something that I wasn't. Well, but, let's not head. You did say it was, it was, it was uh, three matches, and the rest was mad. The second so, like, half let's was great. Be, the first half honest. was mediocre. Uh, yes, that's what I said. Um, so I'm curious what your thoughts were overall. Let's start with you, obviously. Your, yours is the name who's on the marquee. Top to bottom, Fighter Fest. What were your thoughts? I got a mixed bag breakdown of it in reaction to it. And I think in some ways, that's the most sober way to do it because it wasn't a pay-per-view. It was a not only a free sort of card to try some things out. They were in some ways playing to different crowds than they're going to be playing on TNT. And I got a quick DM from one of our smarter listeners, Chris Nyron, that kind of nails the thoughts in my head. So I do want to give him credit so Silver King doesn't accuse me of going on David Shoemaker's podcast and stealing his thoughts again absurdly. Here we go. Hold on a second. From, yeah, we got it, John. From Christopher Nyron at C. Nyron, and if you follow this guy, I don't know what he does for a living, but a huge beer connoisseur always around the globe. He says, was surprised a bunch of the indie fan callers into Wade Keller's post-Fighter Fest show were fairly negative on much of the pay-per-view and talent not being ready for primetime. But I think the critics fail to appreciate this was a free show at a gaming convention. Sure, Fighter Fest theme was a bit obscure and dated, but the spoof Fire Fest videos and all the production throughout the show was well done. The head of CEO Michael Jabali probably rates even Jabali Jabali Jabroni probably rates even below David Arquette in terms of Q scores. So it's a little embarrassing to have a featuring match of him, but he. And the announcer, Golden Boy, and a lot of the show's humor was for the 18 to 34 gamer demo. It's not for the NWA OGs, but if they can broaden wrestling's appeal into an adjacent market that is tens of billions of dollars larger, then that's how the con's $100 million investment begins to make sense. I guess I have always held out NXT as the true competition for AEW. And along those lines, I would still compare generally favorably the talent, gimmicks, ring gear, and skits. Obviously, WWE got the better and cuter Joshi girls, but you can't win them all. So the main thing I take from Chris's DM there that I apply to my own sort of original take is, yes, this wasn't, you know, all in part two or double or nothing part two. This was something different. It was free. It still gave you the continuation of storylines. Overall, it was hit or miss. The hits, though, I felt were large, were big and made me want to have a weekly AEW product. But I do think they were trying to play to a younger, different crowd. Look, is it cool that the Bucks and Kenny dressed up as Street Fighter guys? 
a little to me. I'm some 40 year old white dude, though. Like, of course, I grew up playing Street Fighter on Sega. Yeah, but like, I mean, it was my favorite video. There's game certain ever. people yeah. that I'm sure would pop the hell out of that, and that's fine. That's great. That's just I'm using as an example of there were a lot of those moments during that show that if it hit you in the field spot, that's fine. But that's not exactly what the product's going to be. And if you listen to Tony Khan's interviews afterwards, which is, again, why I love that they do the full-on press conference explaining it all, he's like, even a lot of the violence that you saw from those gimmick weapons matches to Cody bleeding, you're probably not going to see that presentation the same way on TNT week to week. So it's a little bit hard to gauge that in the overall scheme and theme. Was there a lot I didn't like? Yes. Was there things I popped at? Yes. I look at it as an incomplete show that served its purpose as a free offering to keep the chains moving. I will say this, though. If WWE continues to have Monday nights like we had this week and then starts having Tuesday nights like we had this week and then starts having pay-per-views live up to expectations, it will be on AEW. To not try to be, in my eyes, this hip new organization that's for everyone and puts out Joshi Girls and does this and that and that, I think it'll be more on them to go for it and compete and not just be PG-13, maybe try to be raw R, maybe try to be raw and R, and maybe try to come at us with legitimate WCW old school feels. Because if WWE, which already is ahead of them, obviously, in terms of things like money and production and experience and all that stuff, AEW's going to have to bring it. Because WWE just showed that they, they're going to bring it in response. So I need AEW to be better and different. But again, it's hard to fully gauge this show as this is what they're going to look like moving forward. So I really like, I'm, I'm not saying that I have an issue with your take, but I don't buy so much of that. So first of all, it was free to us as BR live viewers. It was not free in the United Kingdom and elsewhere. And people that were in the arena that bought tickets, bought tickets. It wasn't free to people at the gaming convention. They paid for tickets to go see a wrestling show. So that's a paid event. And TV's free. I mean, in comparison, we will watch it for free, just like we watched this for free. And that's one. Two, you can't tell me this is not what we're going to be about when you put on a show under your banner where you were about this. Yes, week to week, you're probably not going to have a, a gimmicked chair shot that screws up a, and someone taking an unprotected shot, whether it's a baking sheet or whether it's a chair. That's probably not going to happen week to week. And no, you're probably not going to have unsanctioned matches week to week, but something that AEW does, and they did it after the show in the interviews that you love so much. There's a difference between the New Japan interviews and the AEW interviews. The New Japan interviews are in kayfabe. They have reporters there, but they're asking generally kayfabe questions and are getting answers that maybe skirt the line. AEW does breaking kayfabe post uh, event interviews. Well, some, and there are, not MJF. MJF's rant was okay, amazing, fine, not him. and he's in but character. But Tony Khan, Tony Khan and the Young Bucks, where they're coming out and basically saying, and, and this honestly, w we put disbelief on a shelf when we watch professional wrestling, but I don't need the executive vice presidents of a company coming out and saying, and, and Tony Khan coming out and saying, this isn't what we're about, that chair was gimmicked, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like, you're really pulling me even further out of the moment than I already am. I thought that was a horrible decision. If you're going to have Cody get busted open, let him get busted open. You say, oh, man, yeah, you know, we're, we, we're going to make a new rule where no unprotected headshots are going to happen. But don't, like, immediately come out and, like, try to save face here. You're professional wrestling. Shit happens. Live with it. 
if you don't want that kind of stuff to happen, don't have them take an unprotected I mean, that, headshot. I, look, I mean, that's a fine criticism, but they've established from the beginning that they're going to give you those non-K5 interviews Okay, afterwards. then you know so what, Brian? When I'm a, in ring watching the product, don't give me Hadoukens as a real move in the main event. All right, that's Hadouken's fine. But, a street fighter move. It's a fireball thing. Yeah, that that, that's cool. They it's did, and everyone me. and all their competitors, real professional wrestlers in Pentagon, Phoenix, and Laredo Kid just fell down. So... What what are you going to be if you're going to give well, me you're this not going to co-promote the, the, your TV show is not going to be a co-promotion with the CEO video game company at a no, video but if game you're going to allow stuff like that to permeate your product, it's going to take me out of it. And Which it, it's is why I it's, said you you can't look at that as this is the next step in their continuation of the product you're going to see every week. And that's why afterwards they but, put a disclaimer out there and told you that. So I get that do, you're getting they mad. Did stuff, they did stuff like this in NJPW, too. So if they think my point is, if they think this is going to work. I don't care that it was CEO. It's AE. This was an AEW show. Yeah, there so was there was, there was I, I, hit or misses. Was you may have different misses than I thought, but hits. How about that set? How about that set design? How about the look and feel of that? You Maybe. realize it was the same. Set it was the same thing. It was the same set as Double or Nothing that you told me you hated. Okay. The addition being a I, theme attempt. I never said I hated it. A. Yes, you did. And yes, B. Did. That was not the exact same one as it, All or Nothing. They had extra it, flair on it. You had the the beach setup thing there, that which gave you the the, the, the callbacks to Brian, that. You had took, the, you had the different look of the Titan Tron esque, a little bit different than All or Nothing. They just so, took yeah. the poker chips away and put palm trees there. <laughs> and they came Brian, back to the, the scene of the Brian, crime of the third man. Knowing that we we where we love Bash at the Beach WCW because they put out that corny stuff and they put the palm trees out and the whole look of it I loved I it I don't I know why this is I a big laugh fest I never said I hated the set I said it 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 didn't pop and jump off the scale but my analysis back then was it's not about that with AEW it's about what's going to happen in the ring and I thought the set looked great. Yeah, a, go ahead. That, Just, that no, wasn't our main talking point about the set? Wait a minute. I think I could put this all together for the three of us, which is why I'm here. Wasn't our main talking point about the set last time, the two entrances? Yes, yes. That's what we were. That but it was the same thing. It was yeah, the same it was thing. the same thing, except they took poker chips away and put palm trees. Yeah, they took really cool-looking poker chips, and they put a fake band set up. Again, they're playing off Fire Festival, right, which was really cool. They put the fake band set up. They put, you know, the, the FEMA tent, and they had the real models that they replaced with, with the blow-up dolls, which was really funny. Okay, but it was the same damn set with a couple different accoutrements. Yeah, I, so I really thought it looked hysterical. different overall. It, it, it was different. I mean, we can we can compare the pictures and video, and that's fine. We can go down that road. To me, it looked different. I liked it a lot more than the first show. I thought it, it had a mix of throwback and a mix of new. It was still subtle at the same time. It was cool. That's fine. Let, let me ask you this. I was disappointed. I was actually, despite me not liking all this corny stuff, I was actually disappointed that the Fire Fest, Fighter Fest theme ended with the intro of the show. I thought it was something they were going to carry on more throughout. I, it was one of the criticisms I actually gave uh, in my results and my grades on the show. I thought they were going to go back to it, like with Kenny. They never really did, Jack. Did you feel the same disappointment, or were you okay that they built? They had all that buildup and all those promos, and they just did it in the pre-show? You're both good, probably going to hate me for this. I hated the whole concept overall. Oh, I like like the, the, the whole fire Festival thing was last year. Like, why... No one cares anymore. I didn't. I didn't care. I thought it was stupid. There, I'll give my guy. I thought it was dumb as hell. The whole fire festival thing. I hated the skits. Hated that. Like whenever they tried to implement it, I was happy that they just got rid of it. I didn't like it. I, I honestly didn't like it. Well, I got an, I got a statement to make that rubs off of what I said in the beginning, but I don't think I nailed it. Um, 
when WWE is really bad, and AEW is your oasis from WWE, and it's just different and fresh and new, and there's some tongue-in-cheek stuff, there's some great wrestling, there's some Moxley cool badass stuff, then that's where I want to be in the end. But if WWE gets their ish together, guys, which it looks like they might, I don't have time for Yoshi six-man women's wrestling. I don't have time for librarian tongue-in-cheek backstage stuff. I may not even have time for, like, some of the stuff that being the elite has become. So people can say all they want that BC's a uh, AEW blow hard and he can't recognize when things are wrong. I love great wrestling. I push this revolution narrative to make WWE better. If that happens, AEW is going to have to be a lot better. They came into a sleeping giant. If that giant wakes up, AEW still has the ideas, decision makers, and horses to do something really special in that space. But to grab your attention in that space, they're going to have to be way better than than this hit or miss fighter fest show. And even the things I loved about this hit or miss fighter fest show, they're going to have to be more serious. And maybe, again, that's just old, brittled me who loves Jim Crockett promotions from 86. Dusty's leg in the mid-Atlantic stuck in the, in the car on the highway and the four horsemen breaking it. But I need a, a serious tone in wrestling. And I hope they continue to raise their game as WWE does because then we're going to have a, a, an insane boom period. Then we are going to have what we think we can have. But this is just an appetizer this, this past show on Saturday night. Yeah, I agree that it was an appetizer. At the same respect, I wasn't expecting double or nothing, but there was an overall – I mean, there were, there were things that hit me in the field spot, right? The six-man tag was awesome. Um, but I got to be honest, I was overall disappointed with the show. I, I thought some of the matches had hot finishes, even the, the women's triple threat. The final few minutes of that was really good. It just took a really long time to get going. The Chima-Christopher Daniels match, same kind of thing. The end was hot. The rest of it was okay. Uh, the Fatal 4-Way I thought was very good. I just, I, I was coming out of Double or Nothing. I didn't think every AEW show is going to be this incredible thing with three amazing matches at the end that are going to blow me away. I just expected a little bit better from the booking and and the storytelling and the presentation. And let's not forget, yes, it's not it's not TV. Yeah, they may not ever do this again, or if they do, maybe they won't build it up as much or it won't be as important to them. But this was the second ever presentation of AEW. And we're going to have one more before their next big show. And I don't expect Fight for the Fallen to look like Firefest. I expect it to be better. I expect it to be more AEW-like. But even some of the, the final three matches where there were moments that people popped, and I kind of want to start with the Cody match against Darby Allen, it just was... Like, I was looking at the match, and I'm like, who booked the body bag spot? All right, you had me up to this point. Silver King, I'm going to have to interrupt you. You had me up to this point. Let me finish my point. On hit or miss. But if you're going to bag on this match, this match is fantastic. And it made Darby Allen a star. Let me finish my point. Who who booked the body bag spot that just really slowed things down and didn't make any sense when you're trying to get a pin at the end of the match that would do that? The chair shot, I want to get your exact opinion on that. Darby Allen taking the bump, which I loved, but it's super freaking dangerous. The elbow drop where he hit with spine all the way down. That's his background. The, That's what he does. The, That's... The, the ring apron. It felt to me like it was Darby, you know, being a highlight 
and Cody just dragging things down the entire time. I want to know what your thoughts were on the match. Personally, I love the finish, but I want to know what your thoughts were on the well, match. You are a no- and the, notorious and the chair Co- shot. Cody in ring hater, so we will file it under that. I mean, he, he, he's he, not good. You call ahead. him three star Cody when when he's obviously way better than that. Um, I thought that the match was great. Match. I thought it put over Darby as a star. If you hadn't known him before this, I love the booking. I love the spots. That match, I got the feels where I need a weekly TV show now because they are getting new people over, which is which was Silverstein missed on the uh, Double or Nothing show, that they are getting new people over, and they got Darby no. Allen over for me to really they got him care over. about him there. They got Darby Allen over. They did, On Double or Nothing, they really didn't, but they got Darby Allen over. So yes, they did. way off after I named all the names that we do. Silver King, there's some things you can't hear. You can't hear the Jimmy on this. We got to move past that. It's fine. What did you think about the Hold on. Match you asked me my thoughts on Cody. I love the match. Jack, you and I talked. I thought that match was that moment that got me to care about that card. It was a great showcase for Darby because, again, I mean, unless, you, unless you're unless you a regular viewer of Evolve, you don't really know much about Darby. You know he has this weird gimmick. And, yeah, the body bag stuff may not have been necessary, but they did a really good job of trying to encapsulate everything that Darby Allen is into that match, and they succeeded. Now, I could really do without our man Darby there doing that spot on the apron. Like, I hate that. I hate it. I hate that more than I hate Big E doing his dive where he's going to break his neck one day. But that was a like that can go. But Darby came out of that looking like a star. What they went in trying to accomplish, they accomplished and then they ruined it. With the chair shot, you're saying ruined it. Go break you, it down. here. All right. Well, I mean, we'll get into the semantics of the, the spot itself. Get into it. Yeah, go for it. But there was no reason. To do that spot in the middle of the ring right there after you just gave Darby that shine. You have an entire backstage area. You have the rest of the night. You could do something in the parking lot. You could do. There was no reason whatsoever to bring a. I, I'm not sure. But almost 40 year old Sean Spears. Not knocking the guy's talent or anything. But an almost 40 year old Sean Spears. To have that spot. After you just put over this young guy. That you have signed under a contract. That you want to maybe push as things go along. You took all that goodwill. For what? Exactly. Controversy in the end because you screwed up. They could have done that Sean Spears spot anywhere else. One of the backstage interviews, a parking lot, the beach. I don't care what hey, you do. Hey, Jack, don't do, two, don't do Jack two, two weeks later at Fight for the Fallen. Do it after the six-man tag, or do it after the tag yeah, team match. You can, yeah, you can even do that a little closer to All Out, which obviously, like, obviously, no, we're not stupid. It's Sean right. Spears and Cody at All Out. We get it. Fine. It, it was just necessary, and it really dragged me down seeing that. And I was like, and so not only did you screw up a nice spot for Darby Allen, who was completely forgotten at that point after all the hard work he put in, the guy almost killed himself for this match. And then to boot, you screw up a spot, gimmick chair or not, shouldn't have happened in the first place. And then things go completely off the rails because, and here is where WWE gets the criticism. In the, now, does Vince scream in Michael Cole's ear too much? Maybe. Now, if I'm backstage and I hear Jim Ross after that spot that we know we screwed up, yep, and every single word out of his mouth is CTE, 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 I say, Jim, zip it. Enough. Talk about the next match. Talk about something else. 
Like, stop drawing attention to this. And by the way, he's talking about CTE. It's concussion protocol, Jim. If you want to mention it one time, hey, he's, he's going to get checked for concussions backstage. Cool. Move on. He said three t- CTE four times. Hey, guess what? Cody's alive. But he's, to fin- he's living. But to finish my point about this... It, 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 you guys know me. I don't. I I don't go to extremes. Sometimes I'm two sides of the coin. Great match. I enjoyed it. Great for Darby. Happy for the kid. Always liked him. But then I got to disagree completely, completely with you, Jack. On there, you Respe- you respectfully, I think you're you're off on everything you said there. Darby made his name on doing ridiculous shit like that. So. Do I want to see a guy potentially like break his back on that? No, but that's he's a small guy trying to get over on craziness. He had an insane good match. This was his showcase moment in a lot of ways to, to get fans to really know him who didn't watch Evolve. He threw okay. that spot in on his own. It was gnarly. It was some of the stuff that we love about NJPW where somebody almost breaks their neck. So I was okay with that. And the idea that he lost his showcase and his thunder and his whatever the moment Sean Spears walked in there, I got to say no for two reasons. One, him getting a, a draw was a win. Him getting a time limit draw was a monster win that proves to everybody there that booking-wise, he's on the, the quasi-elite level. Two, you know what we didn't say at the end of Double or Nothing when Mox came out and kicked everyone's ass and DDT'd Kenny Omega on top of the poker chips and started a giant new feud that doesn't involve a title belt. We didn't say, "Oh man, you stole Chris Jericho's moment." No, because it was who cares? Because it was awesome. Who cares? Because it was awesome, Brian. They're not trying to put over Chris Jericho. Jericho has been over for thirty years. Okay, so my point point is the whole point. The whole point Jack is making is well, hold on. I I get the point he's making, and I disagree with it. Darby Allen had twenty five minutes of a showcase. He got the draw, which is a victory in this case. So now, guess what? You're not doing. You're not doing a Cody Darby Allen feud. So you spin it forward. You bring out Sean Spears, who for the most part through his career, I don't really care about. And then they got me to care in that moment. It was a gimmick chair. And guess what? I've been zapruderin' the crap out of that film. I'm not convinced Cody didn't blade. Watch the angle of where that chair hit. I'm not convinced he didn't blade. Is it a good look in 2019 to do an unblocked chair shot? No. But they admitted afterwards that that was a gimmick chair. I think Cody bladed. And I think it got across the impact of most of you probably don't care about Sean Spears that much because he's 40. And although he's got a hot wife, his career yeah, hasn't been that great. I kind of care now what Cody's going to respond with. So I fully disagree. They started a new feud and a new program right there. And they got you to go, oh, my God, is he really hurt? Oh, my God. Like, they brought in some of this. We're not showing you the kayfabe of it. Like, the announcer's putting over the, the concussion. And it, it it provided you with all those fears and emotions that pro wrestling is supposed to do as theater. First of all, I completely agree that he bladed. So I just wanted to get that out there before I completely disagree with you. 100% he bladed. Um, the point that Jack is making, and it's exactly the same way I feel, is not that they should not have run the angle. If you want to run the angle, fine, but you allow it to breathe. The point of the match and the point of the draw was to put Darby Allen over. That was great. The finish with the three count coming too late, all that, great. Darby got featured, fantastic. I may not have liked the match or the body bag spot, most of it. The finish was awesome, okay? So you let that breathe. You let them shake hands. Darby bows to Cody. Something happens. She gets cheered in the ring. Then you have Darby leave the ring and Cody start walking up the ramp where Sean Spears meets him, maybe to console him, maybe whatever, and whacks him over the head. You give a breath 
between those moments. Instead, with Darby Allen still in the ring and Cody just like turning around from him, he gets smacked in the head. It took all of the attention off Darby, put it all on Cody, and let's say he didn't blade and it wasn't on purpose. Now you have this screw up that's drawing all of the attention of the entire show onto that as opposed to Darby Allen make, having a star-making performance. I think Darby still had his moment. I came in here on this show and been like, you know, it was probably the best match and the thing that got me most interested in the week-to-week show? Darby Allen's performance against Cody where he overcame his size and proved that he's on that level without having to be completely about flips. He wrestled a really good match, I thought, in there. And I mean, look, we could discreet, degree, agree to disagree about them pausing and waiting 10 seconds and having a handshake no, moment before you do it. Seconds. But that chair shot, took a situation that I would not have cared about. And now I care because now storyline, I want to see how grungy and brutal Cody's going to get to pay that back. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't particularly care about Sean Spears with a chair shot or without a chair shot. I mean, it's to me, it's just whatever, but there were other matches on that card. BC there's that six man tag. Is, is it worth talking about? I mean, it was really good. No, it was really? what it was. It was entertaining in the moment you move on. What I didn't love about this show was sort of the generic way in which Kenny got his retribution. Kenny's the ultimate babyface, and he's sort of just going to repay Moxley with the same attack. And I know that there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek over by the band area and playing the drumsticks on there and whatever. It didn't pop me, but whatever. I just felt like that could have been a bigger moment if a little more thought was put into rather than just, all right, Kenny, go run out there now and attack him. Especially considered considering Moxley had just gone through a virtual death match and I'm going to give the credit to Joey Janela. They made me care about that match. They they played on the old school sort of WWE patented ways of delivering the, these weapons matches, but took it to another level. So I don't think that was the right spot for babyface Kenny Omega to run in and beat down a guy who just went through hell. It didn't resonate. It felt ill-timed and misplaced, and that's the largest of the misses I talk about, where this wasn't a perfect show. They were trying to please a lot of audiences, and look, is, like Chris Nyron said, is it smart to go after younger fans rather than WWE's average age of fans being 54? Yes, but I think it led to a little bit of an identity crisis in the show. And that Kenny Omega, it's about sending people home. That Kenny Omega did not send me home happy. Well, that's the thing. When Moxley did it, it was juxtaposing this rough, brutal attack by Moxley against, it wasn't a technical match with Jericho that Kenny had, but a regular wrestling match. In this case, they're juxtaposing what was supposed to be a brutal attack from Kenny Omega with a match that was one of the most brutal things we've seen on American professional wrestling television in decades, right? Just at least in terms of the weapons that were used. So it didn't make any sense. And and Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, but the other issue I had with it, it wasn't true to Kenny Omega's character. Like A, Kenny Omega attacking someone from behind as a face doesn't seem right to me. And then him trying to get brutal and use weapons that way doesn't seem right to me. It almost would have been better if he like cleared the ring of the stuff and hit a couple of V triggers and a one winged angel and laid him out. I, I get the story they're trying to tell here. The story, the story obviously is Moxley is supposed to bring out a side of Kenny Omega that we have not seen to this point. Right. He's five-star Kenny, the technical genius, best wrestler in the world, depending on who you talk to. But John Moxley is going to bring, is going to bring out this different version of Kenny Omega. But in the time on Saturday night, that timing was off. You could have just very easily had Kenny come out and feign like he was going to attack him, maybe, and just like slow clap his performance, and then have Moxley just look at him like he's ready to go, but then have Kenny just slow clap and say, okay, I see you, and then just walk to the back. 
Yep. But yeah, it was, it felt, because again, I, I get what the end game is. I get what the story is, but it felt like it was way too forced there. And it's just out, out of Kenny's element. Like this is a story, like Kenny breaking out of that shell and becoming this hybrid violent type. That's going to take time to tell. And they kind of just rushed it after they rushed the announcement of the match on social media. And they're trying to rush. It's like, okay, now slow down. Cause that didn't make any sense. You you still could have incorporated Kenny into the end of the Moxley Janela match, but that wasn't the right way. Uh, it's weird too. Cause they were going to sell out all out with or without Omega Moxley even existing. They would have sold it out with, without Moxley even being in the company. They yeah. didn't need to announce it that far out. You're right. Now, Jack, I also want to give you an opportunity to talk about this match because look, if I'm being completely honest and I enjoyed the match, right? Janela Moxley. I was hyped up for Janela's promo. I was messaging you like, man, I see what you see in this guy. You know, you, you like Janela more than Brian and I combined, or at least have more exposure and experience to him. But if I'm being honest, it was a hardcore match. Cool. I thought AEW did a couple cool things where they said, Hey, that six man tag is actually the main event. We're going to turn the lights off when they're back on. This is an unsanctioned match. It doesn't count as part of the show. That, that was all cool to me, but it really felt to me, if I'm being critical, which I always am, it felt like violence for the sake of violence, and I honestly didn't think their storyline feud was built up to the level where that type of violence was required or necessary, and on top of that, well, dude, I you, didn't have feel you like seen they told his career before? Well, that, that's, that's who he is, though. On top of that, I didn't feel like they told a great story in that match. Okay, but to to give that criticism out of a guy whose career is doing insane stuff, you don't need a story to build that. It's obviously a one-off feud. Yeah. So it it just felt like it escalated to that point too quick. But the story's already been told. The story is that Ambrose used yeah. to be a violent weapons re- theater wrestler, and now he's coming back to who he actually is, and now he's going to face the current king of it, ridiculousness. I understand, but it it would have been one thing if they had, let's say, a tables match or. A hardcore match where a few things happen. But Janela's not going to be on this level. Ambrose, and Ambrose beat him, or, or Moxley, I'm sorry. And Moxley beat him. And then Janela goes, you know what? That was crap. That was baby stuff. We're going all the way at Fight for they the Fallen. They don't have enough shows. And they fight for the Fallen. And they had the rematch, and it was an unsanctioned match, and it was crazy. To go from zero to unsanctioned match. because yeah, this was the main event of this show. It, again, I'm just explaining my opinion. To me, it was too far too fast, and I thought the match itself, while violent and entertaining, didn't really tell a great story. This was the former CZW King against the man who picked up the ball when he left and ran with it. This was exactly what it needed to be. When you say John Moxley versus Joey Janela, and I, I, I get it, it, pro wrestling is 99% storytelling that make, that brings you in, but this is the 1% where, no, when you say John Moxley versus Joey Janela, Give me the tables. Give me the bar wire. Give me the just right up. Let those two and whoever lives lives like that is what you think of with those two. Now, did they put in the video packages like the images of Moxley and CZW getting hit? They tried. That wasn't it. Was it maybe not enough? Maybe not. But they did try to drive the point home of this is the former king. This is the guy who picked it up when he went to the watered down product. And he kept the ball around with it, which is why Joey Janela is part of the reason CCW is still alive today because of what he did. Um, the match was fine. It, it was what it was. Like I've seen 
a lot better death matches, but then again, like I used to watch FMW on YouTube religiously. I mean, so I mean, Jack, Jack, I have there, a distorted view. Jack, there was very little wrestling. I mean, it, I know it's a that, it's a freaking no, that's not, weapons that, match. That's not, folks, that's not true. You can have death matches with wrestling. There was very what little death matches you watched. Yeah, really, plenty. Did you ever watch Sushi Onita? You no. see Onita doing arm drags. It's not, about, on, it's not oh about just, it's not about are just you arm me? drags. What Guys, are you looking it's for? It's not about just arm drags. If you can't look at that match and say, hey, they just w- brought out barbed wire and tables and just had that and had nothing else to it, then I don't know what to tell That's you. That's the story. That's the damn story. CZW and Joey Janela and John Moxley and hardcore death matches and all that stuff. That's great. But if you're not telling us ahead of time that this match is going to be that only that, how could you not know that? How could you not know that, Adam? The guy's taking his headphones off. If you know their history, how could you not know that? Because you're not letting me finish the take here. You already finished it. The point is, violence for the sake of violence is good, and I enjoyed it. But you can't tell me that was a great match. That wasn't the point. The story no, that, was that they were going to go in there and see if Ambrose could still do the violent matches on that level, or did Kevin Dunn water him down? They told you the story leading in. You're not going to have a bunch of dialogue. They're going to bang. They're yeah, going to start aware, their weapons nothing, right away. But, but there was nothing told in. Listen, man, m- matches tell stories on their own in addition to the storylines that bring you into the match. The storylines going into the match were fine. I was the one. I, I said, I said, Brian, you need to watch Fighter Fest Episode 2, whatever that thing's called. The Joey Janela promo is crazy good, one of the best of the year. But in the match itself, they didn't tell me a story. They told me, hey, we're going to go back and forth with barbed wire and a table. All right, and, they, you know a story they the told me and the rest of the audience? They told us that Dean Ambrose can still be that guy. That's what they told us, that story. Yeah. And that Joey Janela, while he was the king of the weapons matches and the death matches while Ambrose was gone, he's good, and he's good enough to be a main eventer on this card and entertain us. But he ain't John Moxley. It was a pretty damn good story. Well, it's good to know John Moxley can be the guy in the type of matches that AEW after the show said they're not going to be doing. Which was which was again. This is where they're making some mistakes because they're appeasing the fan. Because okay, like like I, I like Adam. They're they're you're like you're not like a minority. Like when you talk about storytelling, a lot of times I know there's many, and you, you know you and I have talked about this before. Sometimes for me, I just don't really care. Like, I care about other aspects. You want to be told a specific story, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And they were trying to appeal to the hardcore fan base who knows, like I said, when you tell, if you told me four, three years ago, we're going to have, John Moxley and Joey Janelle are going to wrestle. The first thought in my head is, okay, I don't care. Give them the bats. Give them everything. Give them the light tubes. Give them the, and let's get this over with. Call Matt Tremont. You want to do a triple threat? Come on. We'll do, we'll go. Let, let, somebody will definitely die here. Call Nick Gage. But. It now, if you guys see now, I'll take the turn. If you guys want to crap on me, because I know you're about to, Brian, you did. Here was my main problem with the match. The one problem I had, unsanctioned, and you're driving this point home. AEW does not condone this match. That's why the sixth man is the official main event. Get Justin Roberts out of that ring. Get those commentators out of there. <laughs> Pull the skirt do, off the ring. Do yep. not give those guys entrance music. Like no, no entrance themes. Now, from a storytelling aspect, Adam, going into the match, even if it was just on that night, that helps lead you to believe, oh, man, we're going to see something we're not supposed to see here. If you, like, literally have, just in their own words, have JR go, well, all right, our night's done, show's over, and Justin Roberts, no announcing the music, just have Joey walk out, have John walk out, 
and then have them start killing you. I didn't like that whole, it's not part of the show. Now introduce it. It's like, well, no, it is part of the show. And by the, and by the way, Jack, if on the road to fighter fest, the last episode, they had said they had maybe a meeting, one of the kayfabe meetings with Cody and whoever else, maybe Tony and they're planning the show. And they said, guys, this can't be part of the show. We have to make this separate. You know what? When this is not going to be an official AEW match. And blah, blah, blah. If they gave us that story and then did the things you're doing, you're right. I would look at it completely different. But that they did not tell us those things until he basically got there. And they're like, hey, we're going to turn the lights out when they're back on. It's not official. Another thing they could have done, one last thing. And I, I understand. Yeah, we like, got to get into this G1 it, preview. It might, be, it might be fishing here, but CZW owns their library. They have billions of dollars. They could have called up CZW really quick and said, hey, can we borrow some of your Moxley footage for a small fee? that we could show people like what he used to be and then air that a little bit on some of these roads too. Yep. No, you're right. And Brian's right too. We have a lot more left. We've got to talk new Japan pro wrestling, Brian. And if we're going to talk about that, we've got a couple big names to introduce, don't we? Yeah. Let's start off with one of the participants in the B block this year. The juice is here. Juice Robinson coming at you right now. Enjoy. The juice is loose on the CBS sports podcast. Juice Robinson stepping in, Getting you fired the hell up. G1 Climax 29 NJPW beginning this Saturday, July 6th on U.S. soil in Dallas, 6 p.m. Eastern on Axis TV. Wow, Juice, it's been a long time coming Man. for us to get you on this show, bro. Fired up to chat what with you. intro. That intro was incredible. <laughs> the man... Who once broke Kevin's nose. He's here today. That's what I'm talking about. I'm here. All right. Let's talk talk to me some G1 here, bro. This will be your third. You could argue this field this year, as anticipated in history, when you look at the, I got to see that guy against that guy. I got to see that guy against that guy. Juice, you're in that mix. You've made an insane conversion from wrestler we knew to wrestler we need to know. How you feeling yeah. entering this tournament? Dude, I'm pumped, man. There's going to be so many bangers. I'm so excited. I'm ready to, you know, do this. I'm doing this G1 a little different. I'm going to be a little more physical, a little more, I don't know, a little more out to win it, you know, a little more focused. I'm going in healthy this year. That's the first time. So it's all perfect timing. I'm ready to tear it up. Juice, I don't think it would be hyperbole. I'm, I, am I here to puff your bag? Yeah, but I don't think it would be hyperbole to say from your mic work to your in-ring work to your understanding of how to present a true babyface in pro wrestling at 2019, you're a top 10 worker in the world, in my opinion. And from where you were to this point in getting the stage with NJPW to grow and evolve, it's been insane to me. What has this journey been like for you? Man, it's just been a total blur, total blur. <laughs> I knew, uh, you know, five years ago, I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing within pro wrestling. So I decided I would change and I would do the kind of pro wrestling I wanted to do. And it took a few years, but I'm starting to get where I want to be. So, but to be honest, it's just kind of been a blur. Juice, let me ask you, you know, coming last year, you were talking about you're finally healthy this year. I'm not sure people really understand how difficult it was for you, not just to wrestle with the hand, but wrestle the G1, the damn G1 with a broken, fractured, healing hand. How difficult was it match to match? And what the hell did you do between matches to feel somewhat normal? 
Oh man. Well, I iced a lot and I drank a lot. <laughs> and I did a lot of exercise bike. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't much I could do. I just uh tried to get through it and tried to have the best matches I could, you know, while not totally injuring my hand to make it last even longer. So it it was in my head all the time, but I don't know. It was okay. It was pretty good. I I, I had some good matches. And uh, it would, they would have been better, I think, if I would have had a broken hand. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, they they were damn they were damn good. But how long did it take you for that hand after the G1, I guess, to really start feeling normal or healthy or healed again? Um, the next tour after it was starting to feel a lot better as the G1 went on. Luckily, it, uh, I was able to keep it from getting really messed up in any of those matches. So about. I'd say September, the destruction tour. I think I was out of the splint and I was, I was just pretty much taping it, but I started lifting weights again and I was starting to be me again. So yeah, it, it messed me up all summer long, but fall, I got it back in fall. Well, now you're back. We mentioned it starts on us soil G one climax 29 this Saturday. You'll have a tag match, but your first singles match in this tournament will come Saturday, July 13th. Same day tape on Access TV, 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you against Tai Chi. We talk a lot about the team. Yeah, man, fired up. You are making my job easy. All right, well, let me let me <laughs> tell you this. I talk yeah, a lot on this tape. show. All the time. Bro, that the G1, it, it's the top shelf. It's the best it, installation of wrestling. It's the best. It's just, I mean, good Lord, it's everything. But it's extreme, brother. It's a grind. And I'm not even talking about the grind for you. I'm talking about the grind for me as a fan to wake up at the dead ass of dawn and watch these matches. For you as the performer, night in and night out, reaching for the damn five stars, no matter who you're facing in this tournament every time. What is the mental preparation like to deal with that? You just you just take one match at a time and you uh, you try to do your best with that just live each day in the moment. And if you try to look at the whole thing and try to like plan it out or think of some sort of course of action, uh, I think you're just wasting your time. Just take one match at a time and do your best. That's the way I look at it. When you look at this draw, you're part of this B block. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to play around here and hide the lead. We saw the match you had with the Mox, John Moxley, FKA Dean Ambrose. Um, I popped brother. I thought that was one of the better modern-day presentations of what a in-ring street alley fight can be. Now we're going to see this in G1. Uh, what can we expect here? Ha, yeah, you know, I don't know. Do I go down that road again, or do I try to have a? Do I try to wrestle him technically? I have, I have no idea how I'm going to approach that match. I don't know. I don't think I don't know if I can beat him at that game. So maybe I'll try to wrestle him. Maybe I'll, maybe I will throw in some Ricky Steamboat arm drags and see what happens. <laughs> I'm expecting nothing short of a classic. No pressure, but I mentioned your transformation here. We all know your story coming out of NXT. CJ Parker, you bet on yourself, which is such for me such an inspiring story to hear. You go to Japan, you got those words ringing in your head. "Quote Joe, go and make yourself a star." End quote. What was it about Japan? NJPW. That was the right platform for you to dig deep and find the very best. 
of who Joe Robinson can be? I think it's just 100% the freedom, the, the freedom that New Japan gives me to be myself. And they, I think they really understand that's the, that's the secret of having fans be emotionally connected to the performers is to let them present themselves 100% real. And then, then you, that's how you make fans and that's how you uh, provide a great professional wrestling uh, company. And New Japan does that. Have you- do you feel like, Juice, do you feel like you did learn some things that helped you coming out of NXT? I mean, I know it ended up not being the right fit for you. And, and certainly, as Brian said, you've had significantly more access, success outside of the WWE system. But whether it's promo ability, character work, in-ring, do you feel like you took something out of that experience? Dude, I took every single thing that I am from the Performance Center and from my NXT FCW days. I still think about things that Dr. Tom told me, Dusty Rose told me, Norman Smiley told me, Ricky Steamboat told me. You know, all everybody, things Triple H told me, things that I learned within the confines of their system definitely 100% shaped me into who I am now. It was just I was in a position where I wasn't able to uh, wrestle as much as I want, wanted, so I had to leave. It's, it's, I have no ill will at all towards WWE. They developed, they did exactly what they were supposed to. They developed a pro wrestler. It's just I'm not doing it there, and it's all right. They'll be okay, and so will I. You talk about moving the fans by being your real self, and that really comes across. I think it comes across best in your promo work. You've become one of the more under rated stick guys when you do these post-match press conferences in the back and dropping a few f-bombs telling it like it is what is that process like in your head when you're going to deliver that because to me it's like 1986 jim crockett promotion style you're just slinging and bringing it is it all just off the cuff yeah well that's well sometimes you know i have an idea of what i want to say but I just get in front of the camera and I just let it out and I just try to let all my emotions out. I don't really think about the verbiage. I know I'm going to say what I want to say. I just want to make sure everybody feels what I say. It's not believable then. Well, the fans certainly felt the storyline of you with the injured hand, the ultimate baby face chasing your first title in NJPW, the U.S. title match versus Jay White, G1 special, San Francisco 2018 juice i'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about this thinking about you getting the pinfall thinking about that crowd's reaction in san francisco it was still real to them damn it what the hell did that feel like me too man me too (laughs) that's how that match was the biggest that was the biggest moment of my career and that was the biggest match i've ever had you could feel it. I think everybody knew it. I knew it, and the crowd knew it. And yeah, the energy was just crazy. But that's that's what I want pro wrestling to be. That's what it is. So that was a beautiful pro wrestling moment. When you are in that mode as a pro wrestler, as a performer, when you own the crowd, you're like a, you're like a maestro. They're they're they are they are going to react exactly how you want them to when you get that kind of control. How did you get that in that match, in that story with Jay White? I, I think it was just, it was pretty, it was a pretty easy thing to, to see. It was a, 
you know, entitled, snobby, little brat, bad guy, you know, and then the little engine that could with the broken hand and the, he's worked so hard to get here and man, it would be awesome to see him whoop Jay White's ass and it was, and, and oh, but he's hurt. He's got a broken hand. That's going to come into play. You know, you got Josh Barnett climbing over the guardrail, JR falling <laughs> down. It was chaos. It was just, it was cool. I mean, I got to ask this question as honest as I can when we're talking about the wrestler you have become in NJPW. Has it surprised you at all? Because you're forcing your way into the hearts of wrestling fans. They have to take notice of this guy. Are you even better than you thought you could get to by this point? I don't know if I think about it like that. I usually think, oh, man, I kind of always dwell on the negatives if I do something that I don't feel is very good or... I still think I suck, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> All the are very, are very uh, it, you know, they could tell you they're confident, but I don't know if we would be putting ourselves out there like that if we didn't have this, like, you know, a little bit of an insecurity. I think all people, all performers do a little bit. They want to be judged. They want to be praised. And they're hardest on themselves. But I don't know. I don't know if I thought I'd ever be this good. I'm just trying to just be. And if after I'm done, people say, hey, he was pretty good at that pro wrestling. And sweet. All I know is I'm having fun doing it. And I like doing it when I think I do it good. And I'm trying to do good. And if other people think it's good, well, that's good. <laughs> what's the collective feel in the locker room there because look there's a lot of great wrestling in the world right now when wwe main roster gets their stuff together every few weeks it's great nxt's arguably the best promotion going i always say when njpw hits the high notes nobody hits them higher what's that collective feeling among you guys from the idea that you're changing the game in wrestling and that when you guys do Dude. things like dominion wrestle kingdom g1 no one can touch you we, I think, I don't, I think just we all love it. Even all, you know, all the rest, there's, we, I have friends in NXT. I have friends in AEW. I have friends, you know, in every company, ROH, we all do. So we're all kind of like in this together and just to, to all of us together feel that like wrestling outside of the number one biggest company is doing so well right now. And all of our friends are doing well and making money. I think just, pro wrestling as a team outside of WWE should feel really good right now. Fans and performers alike. Well, I want to talk about one of my favorite NXT juice Robinson, CJ Parker moments. And it was NXT. Our evolution show. One of the early takeovers, the debut match of Kevin Owens. And like I always say, there's still t-shirts floating that you broke Kevin Owens's nose. And that's one of those rare, potentially negatives that turned into an insanely great positive. We had Kevin Owens on this show a few months back. I brought it up to him. Humor me for the next 90 seconds and hear his response. Not to dig up old wounds here, KO, but I go to, you know, WrestleMania. I go to these shows and see these marks with the T-shirts. There's still some I Broke Kevin's Nose T-shirts in circulation. So can we one day get some payback, a receipt on CJ Parker slash Juice Robinson for your NXT debut? I actually love CJ Parker, Juice Robinson, and I wish that he would break your nose after hearing you <laughs> say people are marks that's just the worst word ever i uh 
I'm just going to pretend you didn't say that. Um, but no, I mean, honestly, I can't, I kind of, I, and I've told him this before and I've tweeted about it too. I can't thank him enough for breaking my nose that night. Uh, because it made, it made what otherwise would have been a fine match into a memorable moment. Uh, you know, that I still look back on very fondly. And I would have looked back on that moment fondly because I'm so, uh, you know, from the moment I met uh, uh, Joey or Juice, I I, um, I was drawn to him as a person and as a performer. And so it was great to share that moment with him, my first match in WWE and in NXT. But him doing that, obviously, uh, you know, stuff happens in there. It's, it's not ballet. We've said that a million times. We've heard that a million times. But it made for... Uh, it made it made everything even more special. So, uh, you know, hopefully, I get to return the favor one day uh, and and break his nose. <laughs> there it is, Juice. How do you respond to that? Oh man, I I I was I knew I knew I was supposed to break his nose. I did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. Oh so, yeah, that I think. Uh, man, I miss him so much. He's one of my really good friends that I never get to see. But yeah, that that was just like they were so ready for him to come out there and beat my ass. And, uh, it was the mood in the room was just awesome. It was rocking so hard. And then, yeah, one got away from me, I guess. And then, you know, it made for an awesome moment of the ref trying to fix his nose. And Kevin's just looking, you know, staring dead into the hard camera. Like what? Nothing can stop me. This is nothing. And it was beautiful, but yeah, that was, you know, I guess a happy accident. I'm kind of wondering what your list of dream matches looks like these days, obviously being an NJPW, you're wrestling some of the greatest talent in the world is another, you know, match with Owens, maybe kind of playing into that on that list. Who is out there? Any company doesn't have to be NJPW, WWE, AEW, ring of honor, anywhere that you still want to fight that you haven't, or maybe you did, but you know, you can do so much better. Hmm. I don't know. I just kind of want to wrestle all my friends. <laughs> no, uh, I don't. I, you know, I you know I'd really want to wrestle Chris Jericho. That that's kind of one that 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 would be one of my list right now. Maybe like a dream match for me because he was one of my favorite wrestlers and he's still having badass matches right now. And he's the last of that generation still tearing it up. And yeah, that would be my dream match right now. Other than that, I mean, you know, I don't. Any of my friends, I'd love to wrestle Seth again, Kevin again, uh, guys like that. Uh, I just wanted to close on your NXT experience. It may have been short, but you made a bigger impact than you realized, Juice. We asked Roman Reigns one time, when was the last time you cried? Or when was the last time wrestling made you cry? I was surprised that he brought up a random house show NXT match from like 2014 against you at the Jacksonville Armory. And he said that was the Uh-oh. moment because Joe worked so hard to get me over that I knew I belonged on this level. And he said he cried in the locker room afterwards. Do you remember that match? Yeah, I remember that match because I cried after too. Because, <laughs> I don't know, that was that was just like a weird random match that me and uh, Roman had in front of no one that, maybe 300 people in yeah Jacksonville Armory and they were just losing their minds and it was I don't know it was one of my first matches where I was like whoa I'm I'm good and everybody knew he was going to be a huge star and I I always knew how good he was 
and to get to have a really good match with him now looking back you know it becomes even more of a big deal I might have forgot about it who knows but I, I remember being pretty emotional after that too because I remember we came back and Seth kind of gave us like that like this nod of like yeah that was badass <laughs> and me and him were both pretty me and Roman at that point were pretty you know new in the business we didn't have that much experience so to get the nod from somebody like Seth was pretty sweet I'll always remember it too long way from those tiny arenas now you're playing to domes. Now you're playing to the big time in Japan. You'll be in Dallas for the kickoff of this G1 on Access TV. We are so fired up. I read something where you moved to Japan full time. Is if this, is this true? In the process. What is day-to-day living for a pro wrestler like in Japan, and how different is it from the States? Well, I don't know. I know my day-to-day living. I wake up get a coffee or two in me, go to the gym, eat lunch, go to the show, (laughs) come back, drink a bunch of beer, eat a big meal, pass out, do it again. (laughs) I think that's about everybody. It just depends if you drink or not. That sounds like dream living right there. Do you you get a uh, satin jacket at Ribera Steakhouse for that? I do have, I have one of those. I've only worn it once as a joke. (laughs) <laughs> it's in my closet i'm looking at it right now it's a beautiful green well you pop me on that for sure as we look ahead to this g1 we look ahead to this b block of course the tournament running july 6th through august 12th axis tv in the states has you covered every saturday uh what's the one match here that you think can steal the damn tournament potentially you're gonna face everyone huh. in this block what's the one that you're looking at the most Okay, in my block or in the in the entire in your block. Okay, in my block, do I have to be in the match? <laughs> You're damn right. Okay, because if if not, I really want to see Shingo versus Ishii. That's gonna be holy cow. That might I don't know. That's gonna break. That might break every star system ever. I'm with but, you on that. Uh, for me, I don't know. Oh man, that's hard. Maybe me versus Yano. That's going to be the one. Well, that's the thing, man. I don't think those are working punches to the crotch. Please, you know, please, please tell me. That's a stiff shot. I I don't know. I haven't felt one for a while. I've been on this team a lot lately. So I know last year he tied my, or the year before he tied my hair to the guardrail. And I, it almost, I almost couldn't get back in for real, man. He must have nodded it like five times. And at 12, I started to try to untie him. <laughs> I almost didn't make it in. <laughs> this so, guy, Yano, like the best. Too, man. <laughs> Juice, we are fired up to see you in this year's G1. An absolute pleasure chatting with you this Saturday, July 6th in Dallas, 6 p.m. Eastern on Axis TV. You can follow this oh. tournament. I can't wait to see me some Juice Naito, brother. Bring it. Bring it right here. I need that. Put it in my veins. Rub it on my gums, Juice. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it through the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck, man. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Special thanks to Juice. Adam, he comes across as a dude who cares about nothing but drinking beer, lifting weights, and putting on as close to he can of five-star matches. Doesn't want to read headlines, doesn't give a damn about anything else but doing his job. I love me some Joe Robinson. 
Yeah, I was actually a little surprised considering his um, post-fight press conference persona. He's a toned-down, chill dude. You know, he's he's all about that life of just like, let's chill, and then, oh, yeah, let's get in the ring and fight. So I thought that was pretty cool. I also liked very much how he put over NXT because what we see in the promos from Juice Robinson is, hey, they told me, you know, I forgot what the line was that you said, but, hey, go be a star. Go make yourself a star somewhere else. And we don't necessarily hear his love for the opportunities that WWE and NXT gave him. I thought that was extremely interesting. And obviously getting his takes on the G1 and, and the hand, the broken hand last year as well. I thought that was pretty cool. Great stuff. All right, let's go and let's bring in Kevin Kelly, the voice of NJPW. You're going to love this interview. If you love you some G1, if you love you some Attitude Era back in the day, coming at you. Enjoy. We are fired the heck up to bring in the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling and a legendary announcer in his own right, the great Kevin Kelly. And I already got goosebumps, Kevin, talking about G1 Climax 29 premiering, of course, this year in the States, July 6th, Dallas, 6 p.m. Eastern on Access. So fired up for that. This is the best thing in all of wrestling. Kevin, tell me otherwise. Please, come on, convince me otherwise. No, I I can't argue with you at all, and I share your enthusiasm. In fact, I was just looking at my travel, um, and I was, you know, looking at my my hotel reservation that I just received, and uh, I'm like counting down the days. I can't wait. In a time in which wrestling is at its hottest, that it's been, uh, you know, in the last 20 years now. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is launching the greatest tournament in pro wrestling in the United States for the first time. And everybody's going to have the chance to see it, whether they come to the American Airlines Center live in Dallas on July the 6th or be able to see it live on Access TV anywhere else across the U.S. And we're fired up that uh, for U.S. fans that beginning July 13th, every Saturday, there'll be a, a recap show in the evening on Access TV. You can get all caught a up on it. Show. It'll be it'll be it'll be two hours of, of G1 action. It's it's, uh, you know, we're going to take fans into the arena and, and give them, um, you know, a Saturday night's wrestling experience second to none with uh, G1 action from each of the Saturday night events. And there'll probably be some element of recap so let's say if on you know the previous night's event or a night or two before there was this incredible match or this you know monumental moment i'm sure we'll we'll do our best to share it with you but we're going to bring the the arena action uh as close as we can each and every saturday night the eventual hope is and this is just between us don't tell anybody the eventual hope is is that this does such good ratings for Access that they wind up bringing every show, no matter the night of the week, live on Access TV. That's our hope. Wow. Wow. That's a good one. I want to talk to let's talk don't about tell, Don't tell anybody. That's just, you know, that's crazy talk. That yeah. would be absolute <laughs> crazy talk. But if it, trust me, if this does, you know, the business that we expected to do in terms of viewership, you know, it, it's going to mean. Um, you know, more coverage uh, and and continuation of of uh, you know big things on Saturday nights for for New Japan Pro Wrestling on Access TV. We're really excited about it. Wow, firing me up! And look, nothing gets me more uh, purely organically um, just juiced as a fan than the G One and these big moments. Kevin, I often say it hurts so good because 
It's an endurance test. Not only is the wrestling as stiff and insane as possible in every match they're going for five stars, and not only is me as the viewer and critic and all that, like, really got to set that alarm to make sure I'm watching every match live all summer. It's an endurance test. What is this endurance test like for you as the voice of this amazing tournament? Last year was the first one that I did every event. The year before, I did the first four. And then I came home, and I went back, and I did the last three. And I felt, two years ago, like I was leaving the team in the middle of the season. And it was just so off-putting for me um, that I insisted that, you know, the following year, last year, I call all of them live. And they were like, really? You want to do this? And I said, yes. I, I, this is what we owe the fans. I'm, I'm just like you guys. I was getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, and I was watching the shows live on World. And now I'm calling the action, and it, you've got to prepare like it's a nightly thing. Like you can't – it's just like the wrestlers. You have to manage your risks, and you have to make sure that you – because you can't win the tournament in one night, but you sure as hell can lose it. So we have to be careful as announcers not to blow our voices out. But again, you know, we're not putting our bodies on the line. But um, there is no there's no fallback plan if, if one of us goes down. When Rocky Romero got tied up in the paradise block last year, you know, it was uh, touch and go for a little bit. I was worried I was going to lose him. But um, but luckily, Milana was there and he has the key. He knows how to get out of the paradise block. So he was able to free Rocky. Um, but, yeah, man, it's it's. Um, it really is. It's the Mount Everest of pro wrestling for the, for the wrestlers involved. It's, uh, you know, 20 of the best wrestlers in the world and nine block matches. And if you win your block, uh, the prize that you win is an extra match. Oh, goody. (laughs) (laughs) But the tournament, you know, the tournament's going to start on July 6th and then it's going to end for just about everybody on, uh, on the 11th. And if you're in the finals, you go to uh, August 12th, August 11th. And then if you go to the finals, it's uh, it's August 12th. Yeah. And so look, a, month and, a month and six days. It's incredible. It's such an endurance test for those performers. I can't even – I wouldn't even know how to begin to describe what they have to go through. But they give it to us every single night. And I want to talk about the storylines heading in this year. Because, look, it's, it's obvious. We're, we, we know what's going on in the world of professional wrestling across the world. A lot of hot organizations – Kenny Omega not in this tournament yet. We got Moxley. We got Kenta. We got Shingo. We have Abushi. We have a rising Juice Robinson. What is the, the number one biggest storyline that has you the most excited when you look at this field? Well, it's the one name that you, you uh, just omitted, you know, not on purpose, was Will Ospreay, which is where I'm going. Is to me what Ospreay has done so far this year and what he has before him to compete and win matches in the new Japan cup, then win the best of the super juniors. How far can he go in the G one? Can you imagine? And I could see this scenario. Will Ospreay wins the G one. And if you win the G one, you wrestle the IWGP heavyweight champion at wrestle kingdom. Could you see a Will Ospreay versus Kazuchiko Okada match? At Wrestle Kingdom, because I could, I very well could, but I can make that argument for at least seven or eight guys in this tournament. Well, last year, 
it was a little bit thinner of a field. And I don't mean thin, but I just said like in terms of what would really, you know, sizzle me up on Wrestle Kingdom. Well, obviously, I'm not going to turn handsprings over Yoshihashi. So I <laughs> and neither will we, Kevin. Thank you. Neither will we. We speculated all during last year's tournament. I was like, I don't know, Rock. I think some of these guys that are in it haven't done enough in my estimation to warrant them being in this year. And he was like, well, I see your point, you know, but a guy like Togi Makabe who's a huge crossover star and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's important, but eh, it's kind of about the tournament. And for me, you know, I want to see the best of the best go at it. And I think that's what we've got now. Um, everybody from Switchblade, Jay White, and Kota Ibushi, and Okada, and Naito, now on, you, you know, and Hiroshi Tanahashi, the defending champion, all the way through to the guys that have been in it for several years, uh, Evil and Sonata. And, you know, throw a Toriano in the mix because that's going to be always fun and different. You know he's going to play a spoiler role. You know he's going to be involved in it somehow. Um, To all the new additions, uh, it just speaks to the fact that the field is deep. It's as unpredictable as ever. And I have a feeling that it's going to be a crazy ending. I know, and you, you, I love that you brought up Will Ospreay because you could be making a case right now, and we have these debates on this podcast, that this calendar year, he might be wrestling's MVP. He might be the best wrestler in the world right now, and that's a heck of a leap for a guy who always makes great matches, always has moments where you're like, did he just snap his neck? Oh, my God, don't do that again. Yet I think he's put the full package together. He really has rounded into form. He's matured as a person. He's matured as a wrestler. He's 26 years old. Uh, just And I've said this before, uh, Just Juice told me when he was doing commentary during the best of the Super Junior Tournament, Will only started training with weights like nine months ago. He was just a stretch guy. He didn't do anything. He was a kid and started lifting weights with Juice. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, he's matching Juice, who's trained with weights every day since high school, uh, you know, on, you know, doing doing 500-pound deadlifts. And it's this guy's never trained with weights before. What are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. So he's only scratched the surface with how far he can go. And the added muscle is going to be good shock absorption for, uh, for his style, which is, which is changing, adapting with this, with the needs of the opponent. When he wrestles a Lance Archer in Dallas in a, in a new, a new Japan cup rematch. Okay on July the 6th. It's not going to be the same kind of match that he might wrestle with a true junior heavyweight that we would have seen in the past against uh, Hiromu Takahashi or Kushida. You know, a different match than we saw uh, in his Best of Super Junior debut against Ricochet. This is a, a match where he's going to have to wrestle like a heavyweight, which we saw during the New Japan Cup. And I think he's He's ready to go and ready to make a deep run and ready to prove that the junior heavyweights are every bit as good as the heavyweights. They're just under 100 kilograms. No doubt about it. And we got Will Ospreay in the A block with a lot of names we love. The Old Guard, the Abushis, the Okadas, Zack Sabre's back, Tanahashi, the Ace. But in that B block, a lot of attention. And we're talking about the G1. 
starting off this year on July 6th in Dallas in U.S. soil, John Moxley in that B block is going to get a lot of attention. This character turn, if you will, Kevin, is giving us feels, giving us those old Steve Austin feels, if you will. How will this man's style translate into this tournament, which night for night, bout for bout, I mentioned it, people aren't going for the brass ring, they're going for the five stars every night out. I don't think Moxley is a five-star guy. I don't think that's his goal, and I don't think that's his motivation. I think his first match with Juice Robinson was about proving a point and freeing himself from the chains that he felt like he was held back by. Now that he is in this tournament, he's smart enough and he's veteran enough to know exactly what he needs to do on a night-in, night-out basis to get wins, to protect his body, and to be able to be there for the end. The one that Juice Robinson, I'm sure, has circled on his calendar is at the end of the tournament. Uh, Because the last night of B-Block competition in Budokan, it's a rematch from the Best of Super Junior Final with Juice Robinson versus John Moxley. So that one is going to be ultra important for both guys and could very well determine uh, somebody emerging and making it to the finals of the block. I can see, uh, I could definitely see Moxley picking up some victories and being a role. He already has a role in the company come fall because he's the IWGP United States heavyweight champion. But the A block is so interesting when it comes to Dallas because for the first time in America, fans live are going to have the chance to see Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada, a matchup that almost perennially has ended the, the uh, block competition in A block. It, and by the way, he is always in the A block. And I joke with Tanahashi, why is that? He said, oh, because I think it's the ace block. I think they've just labeled <laughs> it wrong. But they always put Tana in the A block. And when he and Okada are in the same block together, they always close out the tournament. Well, this year they're kicking it off. And every other year it's gone to a 30-minute draw. So is somebody going to pick up a win here? I would say that Tanahashi, who is historically not a fast starter in the tournament, lost his opener last year to Jay White and then didn't lose, uh, you know, and, and didn't suffer, uh, uh, have a match without getting a win until he was held to a time limit draw by Okada at the end. So are these two going to go to the end? Are they going to go the full 30? Or is uh, somebody going to pull out the victory? It's very, very interesting to see. But uh, there's a lot of great matches that the fans in Dallas are going to get to see on July the 6th, just the kickoff to the G1 Climax. You know, Kevin, not to date you, but, you know, you've been doing this now for nearly three decades. Uh, you've done yeah, everything yeah. and done everything and seen everything from WrestleMania. You know, you're in ROH. Now you're here with New Japan. We talk about the G1 Climax being such a grind on the wrestlers and you as well. I'm sure calling that many matches that many days in a row, I'm sure it hurts the voice box. But you see these guys backstage, you see them hobbling around. How tough is it on their bodies? And what difficulties do they really go through that we as fans watching on TV alone don't really get to see? Well, I can tell you that the trainer's room is a very, very busy place during the G1 Climax Tournament. And if I need to find out how a wrestler is feeling, uh, and each, each faction... It's very regimented and organized. I'll take you behind the curtain. I'll explain to you how this all works. When they arrive at the building, each faction has their own dressing room. Okay. Mm -hmm. And each faction or factions, 
depending on the math involved, get a certain amount of time to go out to the ring and to warm up. Okay. They can stretch. They, they are, there's young lions doing calisthenics. Some of them will go through drills. Some of them will do their own routine. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii, for example, is very much a stretchy band guy. Like he will use those stretchy bands and wrap them around the ring post and work on his shoulders and on his neck and stretch his chest out and do things like that. Um, then each, uh, everybody who needs time with the trainer gets time with the trainer. And I can tell you that as the tournament gets longer, there are more guys in the trainer's room than there are out at ringside because fewer guys are able to stretch, fewer guys are able to do whatever, and they're just having to get wrapped up, taped up, put back together so they can compete that night. It is very, very difficult. And they all lie to me. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, come on. Really? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm fine. <laughs> and, you know, so we always joke about it. Uh, uh, oh, daijibu, daijibu, meaning no problem. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, it's just remarkable to see the punishment that they're able to withstand uh, and all for the goal in mind of, of winning this godforsaken G1 Climax tournament, whoever designed this thing, <laughs> my gosh, what a sadist. Uh, but <laughs> what it's, what it's become over time is just this remarkable tournament where, uh, you know, truly the best of the best compete and the winner gets, you know, a shot at immortality to win the IWGP heavyweight championship at, at Wrestle Kingdom. All right, Kevin, it's time for real talk here. 2019, it's the third boob period in modern wrestling. We have access to, and that's not a pun, but I guess it makes sense. We have access to, you know, so many, so much wrestling around the globe, on the internet, on TV. I'm overjoyed that Access TV is making this commitment to New Japan because even though I watch them all, Kevin, I love me some NXT, WWE. I'm fired up for AEW. All that matters. But I always say NJPW is the fine stake. When NJPW's hitting the high notes, especially with the G1, nobody in the world can touch that. And on that fine piece of meat, Kevin, the work you do, the work Don Callis has done, the work Rocky does, the work the Chris, the whoever is on the mic with you is the steak sauce. It makes me a grown ass man. Come after me. I'm 40. Yet I stand up. I got tears in my eyes sometimes. <laughs> Goosebumps. Uh, sometimes I'm just laughing because the storytelling is Shakespearean. It's just different. It's special. We play the sound drops of the greatest moments. Listen to this one. A sequel has been written to the Shaka Osaka. Good Lord, the Shaka Osaka is making me get out of my chair. What is it like for you? You're the voice of this piece of meat. Is this the most en enriching experience you have had in these big moments, in the Omega Okadas, where you are just as high on the product as I am at home? Well, well uh, you know, the Mike Gandy reference I truly got, and I do appreciate that. So <laughs> thank you for doing that. Uh, I am privileged to be able to do this, and I know what my role is. I think what separates me from other play-by-play -play announcers is that I'm not in this for me at all. I'm not in this for the sound bites or for the t-shirt slogans. I'm in this to make the guys bigger stars and to make the fans enjoy the matches more. We're there to translate a, uh, a product that has no language, if you will. So we're doing an American style 
uh, call of these shows, but a true pro wrestling. You know, this is what I grew up with. I grew up wanting to be Gordon Soley. I didn't grow up wanting to be Dusty Rhodes or Mike Graham or Steve Kern in Florida. I grew up wanting to be Gordon Soley. So this is my chance to be Gordon Soley. And every night, you know, where Gordon got to call matches involving Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. and Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk and all the greats of that era, I get to call the matches involving Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tetsuya Naito and Kota Ibushi, and the list goes on and on. You know, when I get to call a Zack Sabre Jr. match, I, I'm, I'm seeing art. I'm seeing wrestling in, in a, a torturous style where, uh, you know, no matter what body part, he can grab a hold of on his opponent. He's doing it and he's bending it and contorting it in a way that can sicken your stomach. But that's my job is to be there and be able to do this. And I'm proud and privileged every night uh, to be able to do this. Now, Kevin, we love your tenure with new Japan. Obviously that's why we have you on here, but we would be remiss, you know, if we did not talk to you about WWF and your time with the company during the attitude era. And honestly, the moment I want to know most about you were inside Brian Pillman's house for the segment with Steve Austin. It's, it's wrestling history. Honestly, it's maybe as extreme as professional wrestling got without maybe the sexual part with, you know, Mark Henry and some of that stuff that sexual chocolate did. Um, but I need to know, what was it like being there? What was that shoot like? Was it as crazy actually doing it as it came across on television? It was very, and I go back and forth with how it was, it was, it was sad, creepy, and, and just uh, fun and energizing all at the same time. It was sad because Brian was legitimately hurt and was staring at the end of his career. That's mm -hmm. what he was fearing. And that indeed is sort of kind of what happened. He was never the same after having to have his ankle basically put back together for the second time. Um, and it was creepy because there was like this just dark energy kind of around the house the whole day. And it just, it felt like, uh, you know, cause it was starting to get cold and, and the wind, the leaves were starting to turn a little bit and it was starting to just feel like that time of year. Um, and, and when every, as everything unfolded, then you're in the moment and it just gets crazy. And the, two hours fly by and it was live, live. We didn't rehearse anything. I went out and I pre-recorded the little stand up out in front of the house. Other than that, everything was live, live, including Vince telling me right before I was about to fire off my first question to Brian, I'm going to ask the questions. Okay. No problem. And then he asked the questions. So, cause that's what he wanted to do. It's fine. I don't care. Um, less for me to screw up, but the, then, you know, of course, when the gunshot, when the gun gets pulled out, then it's like, that was the first time I saw the gun. And I'm, I'm not a big gun guy, but I know a gun that can do a lot of damage. And that was one of them. I had no idea whether it was loaded or not. We obviously found out that it was. And I don't think Brian had any problem with putting slugs in his, in his walls or in his ceiling, uh, because that house had seen better days. Wow. <laughs> so it was. And, I, and then the funny thing was the next day when we all got in, well, not me, but, you know, WWF got in trouble from USA and we're telling the tale, oh, it was a starter's pistol. And I'm like, that's the worst lie I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so it was, uh, it was fun, creepy, exciting, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. But I would have done it again in a 
you know, in a moment's notice. So it was, you know, it was like being on the, on the front line. I know like Michael Cole was a, a war correspondent and I'm sure that <laughs> some of what he felt was, was kind of some of what I was feeling, except his was, you know, actual more life and death than mine was, but still it was like, Oh my gosh, I'm on the front lines. There could be, you know, caution tape on the outside. There could be police. Uh, oh, by the way, the police were called FYI, in case you didn't know that wow. they were legitimately called. Um, because people saw what was happening on live television and they called 911. They called the Erlanger, Kentucky Police Department. So, <laughs> damn, that's still real to it's, me, damn it. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's just, it's tremendous. And, and the fact that, you know, it was um, 23 years ago earlier this week that I actually started. So on the 23rd of June, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. On the 24th of June, it was my first day with the company. So I take all the credit, guys, for the entire Attitude Era. As you should. Indeed. Wow. And no longer you have Vince in your ear. So you're doing the best work of your life, Kevin. You're a true legend. We can't wait for this G1. Quick question on the way out. You've been great with your time. We could chat with you for three hours. But this is where I turn the proverbial gun back at you of this (laughs) G1 Climax 29 that's about to Hit me right in the field spot. What is Uncle Dave Meltzer, you know, that guy with the rags, in the end going to tell us is the best match of the tournament? I need you to tell me right now which one is going to hit the highest stars. Well, first of all, I have all the respect in the world for Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter is one of the best publications that has ever been put forth. And, oh, my gosh. I, I can't give you an answer I can, because a, a lot of that will depend on where it is in the tournament and who it involves. I will tell you this, that if you if probably by the tournament's end, if you add up the collective stars that each of the 20 will attain – I would look for, and I'll give you a surprise pick. I think Tomohiro Ishii, when it's all said and done, will accumulate more collective Dave Meltzer stars than anyone else. He's got a lot of big, big spots coming up. He's in a lot of main events and semifinals because he's a draw, because he's popular. And when the lights are on bright in big singles matches, Ishii steps up like nobody. Yep. So, I would not be surprised if at the end, uh, Dave Meltzer, every uh, pundit, you, me, everybody is not saying, oh, my God, what a tournament Ishii has had. Uh, And it could very well be the the surprise of it all. I think the usual suspects will be there. I think the Ibushis and the Ospreys and the Okadas uh, will be the ones to garner uh, the majority of the multi multi star matches. Uh, I don't think Jay White gets enough credit. I think he's much better than what he has earned star ranking wise, and it's not anything he cares about. Same with Juice. I'll be interested to see how Moxley and Kenta do. Uh, Kenta especially, to me, he's a guy who has a lot to prove. Was the time in NXT and in WWE an anomaly, or is that the guy who he is now at this stage of his career? He's certainly going to look to prove, no, I was Kenta and not Hideo Itami. Uh, But I would say Ishii is probably your safest bet 
in terms of being that big money ball player in the end to, to over deliver each and every night. Wow. Great answer. Great interview. Great tournament. Saturday nights are going to be all right for fighting on Axis TV when G1 Climax 29 begins July 6th, Dallas, 6 p.m. Eastern. And then every Saturday you can hear the voice of Kevin Kelly bringing the action to you. Hey, hook the leg indeed. All right, one of the greatest calls you and Don ever put together, and I look for more in this tournament. Kevin Kelly, it's been a blast, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Adam, that may have been one of our better interviews in a while. I'm telling you, Kevin Kelly can tell stories. I'm telling you, he's seen it all. I'm telling you, that man knows a good-ass steak. Oh, absolutely. I got to be honest. I'm going to put myself over just a little bit. I did not plan that question. The Pillman-Austin question, that's a hell of an answer that he gave us. It's an insane answer. It's, it, he, you want to you know, set the tone of what it looked like, what the color on the wall was, what people's facial expressions were. Wow. I mean, we got to get if we got to get a Kevin Kelly podcast going with inside of this pod. Like we got to get a recurring <laughs> guest and just have him tell stories. When he talks about the feeling of the crowd and the emotion he puts into a call like Shaka and Osaka, like Don Callis hooked the leg during Omega Okada. I mean, look, we say it a lot. That's the that's the highest point of the art form. Omega Okada is the highest port form of the art form, and that man was the soundtrack to it. I couldn't imagine because I remember the goosebumps and the t- actual tears in my eyes watching that art form as I stood in my living room in the past few years. I couldn't imagine Ben in, ben in the dome there. Like, that man has lived. Kevin Kelly has reinvented himself, and he has lived. There's two professional wrestling announcers these days, and there's probably more, so I don't mean to crap on everyone else. But in terms of the ones that we hear regularly, there's two professional wrestling announcers, play-by-play men, who really freaking care. And are really, really excited to do their jobs. It's Mauro Ranallo and it's Kevin Kelly. Because you can say Michael Cole likes what he does. Sure, whatever. He's been doing it forever. JR, he's still getting into AEW. And even though he does love professional wrestling, he doesn't necessarily love AEW yet. Maybe he will soon. He's going to be around it enough. But the two guys who truly love being where they are and watching the professional wrestling that they get to watch are Mauro and Kevin Kelly, man. And you felt it coming through in that interview the same way it did when we interviewed Morrow ahead of that takeover. Yeah, they are the two best in the world right now. Kelly, I really feel like it has emerged as one of the better in history from his work in Japan lately. Like, it's just insane how great he is at what he does. All right, let's bring back in Jack Crosby. Let's set the stage here. G1, we know it begins this Saturday, as we mentioned, in Dallas. But I want to talk the tournament as a whole, guys. It's climax time. If you will, I, I know, I know, knowing you guys, I know you will. Um, I want to be as, as direct to the point as I can. G129, the damn climax. Who's coming out of A? Who's coming out of B? Jack Crosby, you're our guest this week. What do you got for me, brother? I, I got Kota Ibushi in the A block. He's going to, he's going to make a uh, return trip. To the final, uh, it, and what really put it over the edge for me with Coda is that he's actually like you know pigs flu because he signed to a contract. The day true, we thought would true. never come has come. Like New Japan was able to get him to take a pen and put his name on the paper, uh, and he's done he's done nothing but be Coda Ibushi. So I'm gonna out of that stacked A block, I'm gonna say Coda comes out. Out of the B block, that one's a little tougher because I know people are crapping on it, but my. My view of the B block is, no, it's not as superstar stacked as the A block. Not even close. 
But that gives these guys an opportunity. Show us what you have. Mm-hmm. But even that said, Naito wanted to be blocked. Wow. We can I know they've I know they've just wow. had the two matches. I'm gonna go Coda and Naito in the final. And I think Coda's going to Wrestle Kingdom. That would okay, I that's business. It, that's business. Great matches, great storytelling. Adam, before I bring it to you and ask, you heard in Kevin Kelly's voice those questions we asked him. When we mentioned Moxley's name three times, and all three times he sort of goes away from John Moxley, I think that has to tell you they're renting him for this tournament, and he's going back to AEW, and that's going to be the way it's going to be probably for the rest of this calendar year. But I forgot to mention Will Ospreay's name when I'm talking about the big names coming back here, and he inserted that quickly. Is Ospreay coming out of A here, Adam? Uh, No. I think Ospreay's had his moments. And he's inserted himself into the conversation where he can be in the G1 and be a contender once he does lose the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship to potentially one day contend for that heavyweight title. But no, I am with Jack. And you know, I've been saying it before. When we first talked about the G1, Kota Ibushi wins the A block. Kota Ibushi may go undefeated in the A block, wins the entire thing. But I'm going to disagree in the B block here. We have seen enough of Naito. I loved him. He had his chances. We've seen the two matches with Ibushi. Brian, there's a man in this New Japan pro wrestling organization you know I have a little soft spot for. He ain't soft. I have a soft spot for him. (laughs) It's the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii. I think we're going to get Ibushi Ishii, which is kind of a dream match for the Silver King in this final. And you want to talk about what Kevin Kelly told us and didn't tell us? Well, he kind of shied away from Moxley. He was really pushing Ishii. I loved hearing it. I'm excited for it. You get him that win over Cobb, a win over Goto, Moxley potentially. Maybe that's the loss that Moxley takes. Maybe he takes two. I want Ibushi Ishii in that final. Interesting that when we asked Juice which matches he most looking forward to, he said Ishii and Shingo. I, look, Shingo's presence is going to be huge. He's going to raise the rent in the B block. I just look, I said it before on this show. I'm going to say it again. It's Will Ospreay's time. He's your 2019 wrestling MVP worldwide up to this moment right now. They don't have Kenny right now. I think Harold Mage, Meiji, Major, Harold Miji, Harold Mihai, the head of NJPW, is smart enough to realize here to continue this North American expansion. And this year on Access TV, as we talked about during those interviews, they're stepping up their coverage. Gotta have a North American-ish, English-ish, white-faced guy who speaks English. Doesn't have to be white, obviously. That was, that was the wrong word. But, like, just an English-facing guy for the American public. I think Osprey's coming out of that A block to make a star push. He's going to be the guy who makes the leap. He's also going to win the A. And I think there's two things at play here. One, you got to push another face that the Americans want. So Osprey gets that win. But two... Gato and New Japan are safe when it comes to sticking to business. Naito could very well come out of this B block, and Naito could very well defeat Osprey, and Naito could very well defeat, finally, Okada at Wrestle Kingdom and tell that long-ass story that we thought was going to be told a couple years ago in, in what you do there with the main event. And they do this too often as they play to their home crowd in Japan. You please the Japan people 10 times over. But then you're going to have to have a co-main event that resonates with the U.S. folks. And I don't know what that's going to be. We can fantasy book that all you want. I think we're seeing Naito Okada 
come WK14 in January. I mean, they do owe us a Naito title win. Like, they really do. They, he should have won it, you know, previously, a couple of years ago. But I don't know, man. I just don't know if, if Naito gets that opportunity again, even though he is he is the Intercontinental Champion, I believe. And he, he has said he wants to be the champ champ of NJPW, not using those words, obviously. Um, so that is a goal of his. And if they play that storyline, I would be okay with it. Maybe it's an Ibushi Osprey match that we wind up getting at Wrestle Kingdom. And by the way, we're going to get that here in the G1. Ibushi, Osprey, yes. Osprey, Kenta, Kenta, Ibushi. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And that and that's why the blocks are uneven. It's because that A block, it's not that the B block's bad. It's that the A block is amazing. Yeah. I mean, A-Block is better, and it is amazing. I do love me some B-Block, but you nailed the one match I need to and want to see most, and that's Ibushi Osprey. We have seen them against each other in the past, but on this level, with these expectations, this is going to be sick and insane. I cannot wait. Jack, how many others do you think have a legitimate shot at winning this? I mean, look, every year they seem to pick two guys who aren't going to win, but are going to get that push. We've seen Jay White in the past. We've seen different guys. Who on that A-Block, besides Ibushi, besides Osprey? I mean, Okada's not going to win it, so not Okada, but is there anyone else that has a legitimate chance? Shingo. I really think Shingo really opened. First off, he should have been signed over from Dragon Gate years ago. I don't know why it took New Japan this long, or maybe it was Shingo's. I never got the details on that, but when they brought him in as that mystery member of Los Ingobernables de Japan last year, first thing I said was, this is long overdue getting this guy in here and making him a major star. Then he shows out in the the, um, Best of the Super Juniors. I honestly think that they see star power in this guy, while at the same time, he's in that same block with Naito where you can put a little dissension. Because even since he's been there, he doesn't come across as like one of Naito's minions. He's part of the group, but he doesn't come across as one of Naito's minions. That could blow up in their face. So I could definitely see him getting, maybe not winning, but getting the huge push right out of the gate. Um Obviously, you can. Ne- you never, ever, ever, ever count out Hiroshi Tanahashi. You can't push him though, right now. You can't. You can't push him, but you, you never, and you never count out like G- Gato. Remember, I'm, he's fifty fifty. G- but there is no in between. Gato's either that was really great, or what are you doing? You should be fired. <laughs> so you, 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 you never count him out. But um, kind of agreeing with you. I don't know because they New Japan seems to try to have their pulse on what's going on currently. I think that maybe as early as a few months ago, maybe Will Ospreay wasn't in the plans to really push in this G1, but given the mainstream attention he's got gotten lately, thanks to Seth Rollins and coupled with his, his performance in the best of the super juniors, I could see them making a little switch and giving him a push. Maybe he wins the A block, but there's, there's a few, this is, this is wide open. And and this is what I love about this one. I just kind of think that whoever you do put against Okada, because he doesn't have the streak anymore. Right. And he's had the title already since G1 Supercard in April. So he's going to have, you know, eight, nine months with the championship. You, my opinion is you're going to take it off of him at Wrestle Kingdom. And if you're going to do that, the, the challenger needs to be someone who's going to beat him. I don't know if they are ready to give him the IWGP heavyweight championship, Will Ospreay. And if you're not, and you also consider long-term booking, and you consider what they did with Kota Ibushi, having him win the Intercontinental title, lose it tonight, so now he's free and clear. He just signed the three-year deal. They don't know how long he'll stay after that. You know, he says it's his last contract, but he'll probably wrestle longer than that. I think this is the opportunity where you put the IWGP Heavyweight Championship on him and you say, okay, Coda, you're the golden star. Let's go. Let's see what you actually have and how much 
people are going to get behind you. Because if not now, when are you going to do it? Next year? You're just pushing the inevitable, in my opinion. Yeah, I just fair. don't know. The wild card for me, and I wish, I mean, you know, Dave Meltzer, he's so he's so wrapped up with AEW now. He doesn't give as much New Japan information. I want to know, <laughs> I, I want to know their plans for Kenta because a lot of people really don't understand his popularity in the country of Japan. And so it's not like, like when we, if they were to say, take Kenta and he wins the whole thing, like comes in, like that's how he makes a major splash. It's different than when we criticize, say like a Jay White getting a big push right off the bat. Like it would be like, if, if Kenta were to win this, you know, in his new Japan debut, if he were to come in and win it, which I think would be, if he could, if he's healthy, like that's not a bad decision. Especially wild. if he's going to be able to wrestle that. like Kent. It's not a bad decision. So like my, my thing is like, how far are they willing to run with this guy? What's his contract look like? Because that would be a, because new Japan sometimes, while it's not always bad, we've talked, we just talked about this the other day, Adam, how pre- predictable sometimes isn't bad. A lot of times, New Japan can't be predictable, and it's a good or a bad thing. But they very rarely have you just go, wow. Now, if they were to bring in Kenta and say, hey, after years and after a trip over to WWE, this guy finally works for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And he comes in and torches the big names. And especially in that A block, he's got a lot of credibility. He's already a megastar in Japan. Maybe you just created something right off the bat, like WWE's loss was your game. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really, Kent is a wild card. I, I'd like to see Sonata continue to get this soft push he's been getting over the last year of a future superstar and waiting. That could end up being a surprise pick. Imagine him coming out of the A block. You wouldn't predict it, but that could be one of those, well, Gato's been waiting to unleash this on us for a while. Moxley will not come out, but if he did, and if they set him up into that final to lose, to put somebody else over, that could be really interesting because that you get a lot of eyeballs, I would think, on that G1 final of Moxley losing to whoever Gato wants to put over from the A side. But I need to put over this show and put an end to it. You got any final thoughts, sir? Adam, you see your hand up? What do you got, Adam? No, I was going to make another NJPW point, but if we are ending the show before we get out, holy crap, if you did not see the Shayna Baszler, Io Shirai cage match on NXT on Wednesday, what are you doing with your life? Like, as soon as this show ends, go to your WWE Network, Play that match. Brian, did you get a chance to see it? I did not see that. Okay, we will talk about it on next week's show. Incredible cage match. Great storytelling. Man, NXT is freaking good. I wanted to make sure I got some credit for NXT on this show. Sounds like some great meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. Yes, I will check that out. Uh, Special thanks to our guests, Kevin Kelly, Juice Robinson, Follow us at State of Combat at Twitter. Special thanks to Jack Crosby for stopping by for the SK. This is BC. We're going to have plenty of State of Combat combat live from Las Vegas this week for UFC 239. Check out our interview with Amanda Nunez. Check out our YouTube video preview with the Hall of Famer himself, Sugar Rashad Evans. And keep it locked on CBS HQ this whole weekend and CBS Sports slash MMA. We got you. Turkey tits. Hold this for me, all right, turkey tits? Oh, my God. All right, that's it. We got to get out of here. The interview is now over. Yes. Thank you. Let's go. Find the button. Take me home. Okay. <laughs> okay, no, say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, now get out of here. That's right? a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. Yeah, we out. <laughs> <laughs>